right, so the real question is, is when did you decide to grow your beard out and how long have you been doing it? <laughs> so I, uh, let's see, I, I started this beard on March, uh, um, March 23rd of 2015. Which is <laughs> <laughs> you have a specific day. Uh, yeah. That's how, that's how it, it, it does. It does have a birthday. And so the reason I know that date is because that was my first day on the Appalachian Trail. And uh, that was the last time I shaved was the night before. Oh, uh, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's awesome. an important and magical beard that has a lot of miles on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's got the same mileage that my feet do, uh, roughly. I mean, you know, give or take the pre-trail miles. Did you do it straight through? I forget. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I, I uh, left Georgia. I um, started the trail on March 23rd, and then I uh, got to Katahdin in Maine on March 28th, which was actually the day after the 2015 um blood moon if y'all remember where you were <laughs> for that one um so that was a nice uh, i mean like i wasn't really tracking things in a super magical context at the time but i did have a nice you know omen of the of the moon turning blood red right before i finished and returned to the shit show we collectively know as civilization <laughs> shit civilization so, so did you yeah, so you broke the trail up over over a year? Or? No, no, it was um it was um six months. Uh, sorry, the twenty eighth of September. So it was it okay. was um six six months. Um, and I probably took thirty to sixty days of um just hanging out in town, drinking soda and beer and you know bullshitting and stuff. And um, it was probably roughly a four month pace of like actual walking if I take out the like slacker. <laughs> If I like subtract the slacker days, that's amazing. That's nice. walking, walking the Appalachian is always, I had a high school teacher that she did it. And, and okay. once she, once I learned that that was a thing that was fucking possible, I've always wanted to do it, but it's, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those, I, I imagine you have to like really put your life in order to make that happen or run away from it. One or the other. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I I just I just ran away from it um, both times <laughs> when I when I did like I mean it was it was okay for the AT because I had just graduated and so it was like there wasn't there wasn't really that much for me to run away from I didn't have like you know I'd like moved into my parents' house for a couple months and you know I wasn't there wasn't that much um, when I went and did the PCT out on the West Coast in 2017 my life. <laughs> my life went to shit while I was gone. Like I just, <laughs> I just abandoned everything, and it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was crazy. Um, but like you know, I mean, for me, um, the life that you find out there is the best life a person can find, um, with maybe a couple key things that are potentially missing. Uh, so I always feel like it's one of those. Um, if you feel called to it, I mean, it's good if you can do it without suspending everything or, you know, wrecking, wrecking your civilized life. Um, but kind of whatever it takes, usually you end up finding that you are trail people and you were always kind of supposed to go out there. Um, and mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's funny too, what you said about like first hearing about it from a, from a high school teacher. Cause I mean, I, I realized I wanted to do it, I think when I was 15 and it might have actually been the same thing. I know that I'd heard about it from my dad, but uh, I had an English teacher with a map of the trail on his wall. Um, 
And it was just like one of those like split second things where I looked at it and I was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I think I should hike that thing. And then I like claimed I was going to do it for six years and everyone was like, no, he's just, that's just one, another one of Tim's delusions that he's it's always <laughs> going on about. And um, so, yeah, man, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Kurt's time on trail is, yet to come <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's happening right now as we speak it's yeah, always man. happening i'm all once you're on the trail you're always on the trail yeah exactly exactly <laughs> i do i do like to think about that that like if you're on long enough you can like I, I had this whole thing about you like a certain subset of people on trail enter a portal without knowing it and uh and then you never actually leave like you like finish the trail and like leave the trail but you're still and like whether it's like an alternate dimension thing or even like an even darker thing where you're like your body is comatose somewhere in the woods <laughs> just like living this entire other life well, maybe, maybe it's uh maybe it's like a swamp thing kind of thing where you get subsumed into it later in life yeah or, or maybe you just die and haunt the place that you love the most for like hundreds of years after you're dead so you actually spend yeah. way more time in in this the course of all of time you spend way more time on right. the trail haunting it than you ever did living right yeah man it's like a, the it's the ultimate section hike <laughs> you like piece the trail together together over a thousand years though like honestly man there's more to i think there's more to what you just said than like, I don't know, the, the trail's a wicked haunted place. And like, I could tell even before I was aware that I was like sensitive to this shit, you know? And like, mm -hmm. people have been dying up in those hills for a thousand, two thousand years. Um, and then call like, it a even, comeback. Yeah, exactly. They like to, man, sorry, go ahead. Kurt. No, 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 you go ahead. Well, I, I think y'all were talking to, um, I think y'all were talking to Matt about the um, the West Coast mountains being a place that just like devours people or like the the sort of like the darkness and the heaviness out there. And like, I mean, I've 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 been out there, too, and I definitely encountered some of that feeling in the wilderness. I think there's something delicious about it, so I wouldn't necessarily put it down. But like <laughs> the the um, Appalachians, there's definitely I mean, maybe it's just something about the high wilderness in general, but especially our long running mountain ranges there's a definite like concentration like a spiritual like you're the feeling that you're being watched and observed all the way through and like in this sort of like lovecraftian sense you if you're if you're thinking along those terms you do slowly watch some of your hiker friends like go nuts while while they're out there um mm -hmm. like they go like full timothy treadwell <laughs> you know to 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 like greater and lesser extents like there's also just a you know like some some folks just get like i don't know it can amplify neuroticism um it can make you even like more of a weirdo and then also like there were i mean this was more of a west coast thing but there were a couple times where like you know some of my friends like actually it happened on both trails um i i didn't do LSD in the woods, uh, kind of because I think I just could tell that this would happen. But um, <laughs> something about like tripping acid in the woods opens you up in a certain way. And like I almost everyone I knew who was dropping acid in the woods went, had some sort of a break, whether it was like in one case, mm -hmm. this one dude had a full psychotic break and was like threatening to 
attack us in the tent and we we've been hiking together for weeks like we thought that we were friends you know wow. um wow other That's... folks just like sorry go ahead no what were you gonna say man I'm sorry. I, that just, that's, that's like crazy to think about. Um, yeah, because I've always thought of like most most uh, entheogens, you have uh, like a plant spirit that's its own being, kind of piloting the experience, yeah. but but with something that's man-made, and you're out so in the fucking woods. Like, mm. think think the witch, right? You're on the yeah. edge of like on on the wild. You're in the wild. Yeah. There's no telling what is there. And if you're just opening yourself up with no chaperone, like, right? never thought about that before, man, but that's a great point. Dude, yeah, and like, I mean, I I really think, I mean, yeah, it could be any any number of spirits, you know, spirits of land, spirits of place. Also, I mean, the American folklore, and I guess really, I, I guess it's really more of the Europe, it's, it's of European descent, um, you know, yeah, like literally in the case of the witch, it's the devil who lives out there. Um, so like, <laughs> yeah, a couple of times there, yeah, things, things got that special flavor of weirdness. Um, <laughs> you're like, yeah, I'm just waiting. I'm glad we don't have a goat with us, but honestly, maybe we should have had a goat with us. <laughs> they need some, some, some place for it to be contained, like exactly, go, in, go yeah. in the goat and like, you know, it's, it's yeah. funny because I'm also, I'm also realizing it's not unlike so there's certain there's certain versions of ayahuasca where like the thing i did which was called yahe yeah. they have this whole thing about like it's a three-day journey and it's related to the amazon and it's a serpent that swallows you and like mm. you travel down the serpent and it shits you out at the end right and you're changed wow, yeah and that's not unlike the trail the trail is a serpent totally you know it's like this yeah. dragon that swallows you and like takes you into this whole other it's wow. a time outside of time and I, I had yeah. never thought about that, but that's totally what it is. That's yeah. that's beautiful, dude. Yeah, the that's trail really is cool. a huge. It's like a, yeah, a huge digestive tract. <laughs> I love that. That's incredible, man. Because like you know, another one of those, um, the fact that like though the trail is a, it's a it's a long continuous stretch of land, and so like the land is always there, right? And like the trees have been growing there for ages the mountains have been there f forever so there's this static non-linear quality to its existence but as a human being traversing it we experience it um in a linear sense and it's one of the it's one of the few remaining truly linear concise experiences that we can have um and yet yeah man like if we're if we're traversing the serpent and it's like digesting us and breaking us down and pulling us out through it and then sh shitting us out the other side. I wonder if there's also that, like the nourishment that we as food give to the trail serpent is the extent to which we like remain and we become a static fixture. Or we like break out of the, like the linearity of it. Um, like embedding yourself in the being of the trail like somewhat permanently removes you from the normalcy of the rest of your life. Yeah. 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 What, absolutely, man. And then it's also, it's reinforcing the, the whole idea of it as a trail and existing because like, right. It, it's only the, the, the millions of footsteps that have like decided that this is this path. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, 
Mm. Ah. Dude, well, <laughs> yeah, and like it's neat too because it, it like will wriggle, kind of slowly wriggles over time because there are, I mean, like most of the places that it goes, there are multiple, uh, well, okay, so there's one route in a given year, but there'll be all these like side routes, alternate routes, side trails. Um, and year by year, someone will come up there and be like, all right, this one has been too heavily traveled and they'll throw some logs down and divert you onto another trail mm -hmm. to like, you know, to go around this mountain. Um, and then also just like, yeah, the foot, the footprints, right? Like the, the layers upon layers of, of um, Vibram outsole, you know, like rubber <laughs> prints that we're like leaving in the dirt there. Um, yeah, that's cool, man. The like, the like people moving, like people moving quality about it. Man, that, yeah, that reminds me of like caving, how you'll find places mm. where there's permanent footholds and it's just mud, mm. but the footholds are like, so perfectly rounded and etched into it like they'll be there forever it's yeah. it's so cool and or like uh places where where hands go that are more polished than others um you know which wow. is not good for the caves but it's like it's just really cool to see like like human humans gonna go in the hole that's just exactly what humans fucking do so yeah the problem we, we is just... when they're not respectful of the hole <laughs> right <laughs> It's important to respect your holes. You gotta respect <laughs> the hole. Keep that shit, keep it clean and pristine. No graffiti. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, so by the way, y'all, if um, y'all ever come down here and kick it in Knoxville for a bit, uh, a little ways outside of town, um, well, it's uh, north of Knoxville in the town of Bristol, Tennessee, there's a cave called um, Worley Cave that is uh, it's part of that huge network that connects in with like mammoth cave all basically all of the caves on this half of the country are connected it's like a huge cave network um yeah. but worley cave is privately owned and uh you pay like 10 bucks and you sign a waiver and you can just go in the cave um there's no like it's not lit there's no map there are like blazes um but you just like you know bring a headlamp bring some water and it's up to you to survive the cave uh, mm. and uh it would be sick i've i've only been in it once i've been wanting to go back ever since but um they'll even let you like spend the night in the cave as long as you tell them what you're planning and uh, uh man if, if i ever come back to the states to visit uh and have a chance to meet up with you like we should meet up in kentucky because i know where some wild uh, caves are we're like sweet okay you don't, you don't have to pay anybody it's just like you okay. me and a friend and some helmets and gloves and coveralls and like nice yeah. and there's a few there's a couple of them that i know well enough so like that i could okay. lead anyone through but um the, the only it's cool. funny the only the only cave i've been to i've been in was in tennessee and it was on someone's property and yeah like, okay similar thing like yeah my, it was like my my uh my uh uh gutter punk friend knew about it was always <laughs> like he took a whole bunch of us into it uh hmm. Yeah, it was it's it's weird like caves have like time moves differently there yeah like you can yeah. you like the idea of it being the underworld and the land of the dead completely makes sense when you're down there because it is such a different right yeah it's such a different reality <laughs> dude yeah it's completely isolated from all of our natural time marking 
uh, trappings, right? Like there's no stars, there's no sun, there's no moon. Um, there's no like, you know, like no flowers. I mean, I guess there are cave flowers. I, I don't actually know too much about how that works, but uh, yeah, like a completely different mode of time being marked. Um, yeah, as far as I can tell, like the the fucking uh, salamanders and the cave crickets don't celebrate night and day at all. Like they don't yeah. sleep or anything. Wow. They just kind of like sit there still until something happens. Yeah. It's then, yeah. And then it, they do change, but it's like millions of years or thousands of years for things to alter or shift. Yeah. Well, the caves in, it's fun because the caves in Kentucky will, like, you'll go there a year later and you're like, oh, this is different. That's terrifying. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> it's, it's all limestone and it's all like yeah. spongy and like, I mean, you'll go in and it's just like, suddenly there's a big you're like oh that's there's a hill here and there's like above it a big open space oh that's <laughs> oh no that means oh i'd like to go faster <laughs> yeah. let's let's get out of this soft <laughs> soft cave area now no singing uh, no singing right <laughs> wow it's fun that that uh we ended up with uh with Stanley Parable and you and talking trails because the whole game is fucking like, yeah. Well, it's it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare trail. Yeah, totally. And <laughs> and it is a it is a cave too in its own sense. Like I I um I don't know if y'all ever messed around with like game design and like trying to like build three D maps and stuff. Um, but like this may sound a little bit strange. Um, the first time as a kid when it occurred to me that outside of the map is this infinite digital void, and it was like horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you like- What game was it? The, oh, I think I was just messing around with like Unity or some game design engine. And, um, you know, it was, no, it was a, it was an old, it was a like a book, like a textbook that I bought from Barnes and Noble, probably in like 2003 or some shit. And it was like, you know, you first, you like do a hello world thing. And then you're like, you know, they're like design a basic, you know, you like build Pong and then it's like, all right, build a 3D room, build like a couple of rooms. And I built it and it was like, oh, you've got a slight render error. And I like plopped into the room and there's this gaping hole in the wall and just this like <laughs> <laughs> stared into the void it's yeah like, you completed the trial yeah exactly i'm now an acolyte and like that's <laughs> that's what the court so it's it's like an anti-cave right because like a cave is enclosed space with like inhabitable living space all around it and outside or or better yet if you're deep in a cave it's fully filled in on all sides of you right it's just the depths of earth in all directions and then this little capsule of air yet in a game you're in this little capsule and then on the outside is absolutely nothing um, <laughs> for as far as the computer can conceive um there was like so one of the one of the strands I got to on Stanley was um I like I think it was part of the confusion ending if y'all got into that one where like 
I, I don't remember what exactly, but it was like all of a sudden I ended up in this like nasty looking cabin where it's like bare, bare ass, like wooden walls oh, and like yeah. clinked over windows. And then it's like, yeah. oh no, this was, this was not what I was trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like that was, I definitely had that, that feeling that you're like in this cabin and you're like, there's nothing outside. It's just like the feeling of being in the game at that point. It's like, this isn't a cabin. This is a wooden space capsule with nothing beyond it. It's, it's like true terror and, and claustrophobia. Like, and, and it's, it's actually like the opposite of a trail in, in real life because a trail in real life is something that like self selects its own existence. <clears throat> like yeah, it's, right. um, it happens naturally and organically through, um, just the way that things fall in the world and that gives it purpose of personhood but like yeah. uh, something like like a digital path is specifically like they're saying in the game created and and um there's there's no yeah. other there's no other thing there that that's all there is it's not the yeah. focus is on it because it's it's contrived um yeah which is really interesting uh I, I, yeah fuck <laughs> so, so like <laughs> So Sorry, do, you, ahead, do, do you want to describe like the game basically for okay. anybody listening? Yeah. That has a- sure. So the Stanley Parable on the face of it is one of those indie narrative games from the mid uh, 20 teens that's um, story driven where the narrator guides you through and you have this emotionally driven cathartic, uh, you know, experience where the the characters life is disrupted so like in this case um it appears to be a story about a guy who finds himself at work at his boring desk job everyone in the office is gone and so he wanders around and discovers that he's been the victim of like a mind control facility and then he breaks out um i'm spoiling the entire game because that takes like 15 minutes to do right and it's (laughs) it's It's this like, you know, on the so on the face of it, it's this weird like proto gnostic like escape from control, get back to nature. Um, and you go through it, you follow the So the whole time there's a narrator who's giving you instructions. Like at one point there's like a, a, a locked door with a keypad and the narrator says, if only Stanley knew the code to this door is 28. Four, five, and then you like punch it in, and you know, and so you're you're being spoon fed every single move in the game, um, much like you know if if um, anyone out there has ever played Dear Esther, which was yeah. um a, you know, and Dear Esther was a, a beautiful game, very little self determination available in that game. You can do things in different orders, but everything inevitably leads you to the same ending point, um, which I believe was jumping off of a radio tower or something. Um, yeah, you like. <laughs> Yeah. So like with this one, you're being spoon fed everything and you get through to the end of the game and then it starts over. You start back in the desk and you have this sudden realization that you're like, that was moving, but also like that was also really lame. <laughs> like <laughs> was a, I was expecting a much bigger payout. Like I get the whole concept of it or whatever. And so then you're like, all right, fuck it what happens if I don't do what the narrator is telling me to do? Um, and I think in my case, when I played it, I actually started disobeying immediately just because I was curious. Yeah. You know? Same, same. Uh, <laughs> I did the opposite as long as I could. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so like, so right. So you go down that path, you start doing the opposite of everything that he tells you and you end up in this weird, like 
almost has the quality of like a torture chamber where the narrator is like berating you for ruining his game or like like wrecking his story. I think um one of those like disobedience threads you end up playing like Quake or like Minecraft or something. It like changes <laughs> the entire game. <laughs> um, so like and and then there are a whole bunch of middle ground places between obedience and disobedience where you follow some of the instructions and you and you ignore some of the instructions um eventually the narrator becomes vulnerable to the choices that you're making and like the coherency starts to break down um so like i i guess uh you know i i think that the the giveaway sort of what the linchpin for me to relate to this game was when you're playing through the the like the basic like vanilla storyline there's a point right when you discover the mind control or uh, right when you discover the surveillance facility where it, it looks kind of like the architect's room in the matrix but huge where it's like all of the screens showing all of the workers and stuff um and by the way there's one screen that says pirate for some reason yeah <laughs> yeah like um but um you uh you know the narrator's like stanley is outraged how could his entire life you know how could he have allowed himself to be emotionally manipulated to just do what he's been told um, and then it's like, he then stepped on the elevator and there's like, you know, beautiful, like, like tension building music playing. And I was like, oh, this whole, that's, that's the point, right? In order to follow the main storyline without deviating, you have to be emotionally invested to exactly the point that a skilled storyteller desires you to be invested in their story. And so it's like playing the Stanley parable is allowing yourself to be emotionally manipulated into making certain decisions. Um, well put. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also funny because your relationship to the narrator will shift dramatically in the game. Yeah. Like, like he he'll go from antagonist to pathetic. Yeah. To like sympathetic at times. Right. Too. Like, there's certain endings you could go to where it's like you're really, you can feel like you're really fucking him up. Yeah. And he's like really sad like there's there's one mm -hmm. version in particular where like you go <clears> off and then he leads you into this room that's like it's all these beautiful colors and shit that's like flowing around mm -hmm. and then there's a there's another staircase that leads down and he's like no don't go down that way and then it's it just leads to this like flight of six stairs that you can jump off repeatedly <laughs> like trying to kill yourself oh my god i never wow. found that yeah, yeah and, damn, and i haven't seen that one Oh, and and he's he just starts to get more and more sad, and he's like he's like, do you hate me and my and the game so much that this is what you you would rather kill yourself than play the game? Is this really what? And yeah, he yeah. just keeps going, and he just gets by the end of it, you you because you have to jump off like five times to actually die, and like mm -hmm. each time he just gets more and more like oh oh. <laughs> Why do you do this, Stanley? Please go back to the beautiful room. Can't we be love? Can't we love each other? Yeah, it's 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 yeah, really yeah. fucking. And then and then there's uh, did you get the thing where it goes off in the like the yellow line? The yellow line, line. yeah, totally. yeah. <laughs> right. And you follow the yellow yeah. line, and then it just doesn't work out, and he's like, "Well, shit." And then like yeah. it comes back, and then it's like, ignore the yellow line, forget it. It doesn't yeah. lead anywhere. And then it comes back yeah. as also an antagonist or something. Right? Like, yeah, because he he starts talking to the yellow line as if it's a person, which is a great example to me of something I like to call the um, the R two D two effect, where uh -huh. you have something that by all standards, so like 
R2-D2, no expressive faculty other than like some beeps and boops. And yet all of us know of the kind of person <laughs> R2 is because of the way that they talk to him. Um, yeah. And so like you start to relate to the yellow line as an entity in its own right. Um, and it's yeah. Like, it's like instead of being the sculpture, you're you're like all the space around it. Yeah, like because yeah. like, it's all the dialogue and all the way that everything reacts to the thing. The thing itself has no form, really. Right. That's cool. And like, I love the. I think for me on the on the yellow line one was because it's it's like along the way there when yeah the yellow line starts to break down and the narrator's losing control. That I started following his instructions again because he's more like, all right, fuck it. <laughs> let's try this You're like okay yeah dude let's let's try it and so like what i wondered about um because like i don't know i i've i i guess that i you know i don't i don't want to be cliche and like overdo this video games are about personal transformation ticket but with a game like stanley parable you can do some interesting self-analysis of how you're like relating to the game and so i was like well so and I suspect around these parts, a lot of us have a natural instinct to rebel, especially if it's like a milk toast kind of um, story that we're being spoon fed. And yet it's not so much that we are because like, I don't know, maybe we are born rebels. I felt like my rebellion instinct was satisfied and I was able to get past it once things got weird enough that I was able to reinvest in what the narrator was was doing. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. you're like, okay, yeah, sure, dude. I'll go through the door on the left. Why not? Huh. Yeah, yeah I think the, the narrator had to come down to your level of like, like it, it had to expose that it wasn't cliche. Like, and then it was right. like, okay, you've got me again. Yeah. But it was like brilliantly set up to catch like some people will just go straight down and be like, wait, what the fuck? And then try other things later and it right. gets weirder for them. But then like, if you're rebel, it still scoops you up and like pulls you in the other way. It's fascinating. Yeah. that That's, that's funny because like, it also makes like the first time I went off book, I, cause I was also, I was like at the beginning, I'm just sort of getting a hang of the game. And then like, it yeah. was, and uh, is I, I got to the broom closet and then I went in the oh, broom yeah. closet and I'm like, <laughs> I wonder what will happen if I just stay in here. Just, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> then he just progressively gets madder and madder. <laughs> and madder. Yeah. I love that. I stayed in the broom closet too. That was like yeah. instantly I'm like, this place is pointless. I'm just going to see what happens. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. There was a in the board meeting room. There, it said on the on the dry erase on one of the dry erase boards. It was like to do list. Let um, it actually might have been Brian. It's like let let Brian out of the broom closet. Uh, <laughs> so like I was I was thinking that that was gonna you know I know like yeah the first time I was like oh my god there's gonna be one of the missing people will like be inside the broom closet <laughs> um, and of course there's not. It's just like you know power tools and like a mop and um did did you guys get to the ending where it just suddenly cuts to a guy dead on the pavement and the lady yes mm. yeah that's that's in the base like yeah. when the the staircase that goes to the boss's office you go down mm. instead and you end up it in was, this little parking deck yeah was yeah. that like this, this like you, you mentioned another game and i'm thinking like like that sounds like the end of a different game than he just threw the fuck in there. So right. they just, it's so strange. Like, I don't really understand. Yeah. 
And and there's yeah. like the female narrator too. Like I haven't gone deep enough. Oh yet. yeah. I haven't figured out like what that's all about. Um, right. So uh, that was one of the ones I played um, partway through yesterday. I think that was. Um, I think that was halfway through the confusion ending, um, which uh, I didn't get to finish the. F so um, the reason I called the confusion ending is because when you start down the confusion ending path on the fifth restart of the game you go to this room where there's this entire board that says the confusion ending and it like tells you everything that's just happened and everything that will happen if you keep doing it um and i think right before that um so it's like yeah the, the female narrator comes in um i think when you are when you get crushed by the compactor thing if yeah. you go down um the um escape hallway on the way to the mind control or um, on the way to the surveillance place or whatever um and so she have, takes you into that museum um so the i was thinking of the museum as being a um like a like a cheat like a cheat code kind of place where it just like tells you things um, so that way you'll like if if you haven't which i think i don't know is 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 great because it really opens up the um realization that the game um the game is meant to be the totality right like like uh it kind of it kind of which it in a, in a way almost kind of dissatisfyingly fucks with the I'm I'm rebelling against this game uh, feeling which you know seemed <laughs> but like yeah you know it's, it's, like, got it's like, like we know <laughs> yeah it's like this is what we're trying to get you to do dude <laughs> that was like the whole point uh, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know when she comes in again though I didn't get to finish so like looking at the confusion ending thing it says after the fifth reset or after the sixth reset, the narrator will forget everything that's happened. And then um, you won't be able to do anything. And then there's something about a bookstore. And um, I just, I had to go eat dinner and stuff. <laughs> so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get to finish it. Um, so I don't, I don't know if she comes back in at some point, but um, yeah, that's an interesting one. Did you guys find the, um, the like, okay, so when you get to the point where you can either turn the mind control machine on or off, have you done it yeah. both ways? Yeah. When so I turned it on. I thought that there actually was a way to disable it, but um, I did not get an ending that was where it was possible to disable it. Uh, actually, that um, yeah. So maybe maybe that was when the um, yeah. So it's like the timer runs down and he laughs at you and tells you that you're about to die. Yeah, that was the um, one I did right before this okay. episode, like right before we started okay. talking. Yeah, and I was nice. like a little bit traumatized for that. <laughs> and the, yeah. the, the first time I, I went like and actually went through and like got an ending was I I turned the thing off and it worked and I like got to walk outside and it was freedom and then that was just yeah. a joke that was just a joke too and then it was over yeah yeah yep and then you're back at the desk and uh so there's actually something I wanted to see see what y'all thought about with that but but first as a brief aside did y'all notice in the computer room right before the um mind control power buttons um all those little buttons right that you, you can like push and they like don't seem to do anything oh. some of those some of those buttons had a thalamic symbol on them the like infinity cross with the like three 
things. Oh on it. no! Um, <laughs> so that was curious. I mean, it's it's possible. I mean, I don't know. Possible though, unlikely that that was just they were just like looking through random symbols and grabbed that one. But um, it is interesting to think about uh, if there is some ritual element at play in the game. Well, if, um, if agency is a big factor in the game, um, that actually, that world. That actually yeah. would stand to reason. But yeah. I th- that's not what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say, did you find the disco button? The disco button? <laughs> did you find the disco button? No. Oh, man. A disco- I don't think I did. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the big mind control room or whatever, when, when there's like the three platforms yeah, uh-huh. and you get to the last one, if you just stand yeah. there for a little while the gates open back up and then you go back to the first one and press it. And it just turns everything into like disco lights in the whole, (laughs) the whole mind control place. And it's just, it has all these like happy messages, like, like uh, super ultra best secret ever type stuff. <laughs> oh fuck! Okay, now I want to yeah, go. Okay. I'm definitely gonna have to go try that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are like little weird details in that room, like when you fuck up and you discover it. Um, too like soon. You, too soon. Yeah, there's right. a certain there's a certain time you can go in there and look up behind you, and like one of the monitors have has a little clippy on it with a message. I don't know what the message says, but it's just funny wow. that clippy pops up. In it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, so like, well, I was yeah, I guess I was wondering what y'all think about this because like, so like, all of the possibilities that open up for you in the course of the game, and like, yeah, you can make a disco ball. You can make a whole disco party of one happen in the middle of this surveillance room. The, I, I guess one thing I was thinking of was like that recognizing the basic liberation narrative of escaping the office building and getting outside is like the most disappointing of all of all of the narratives. And so like, I don't know, that that feels significant to me, this notion that like... Hmm that we're being offered that we're basically being offered this like quotidian like 90s you know break out of the office and be free out with nature narrative as something that's supposed to placate us into going through the cycle over and over again with no alteration um and like i mean uh, if you're looking for social commentary folks uh, yeah <laughs> there's there's something there so like what is it i mean yeah what is it what is it saying that like, cause like, I don't know. I mean, most of us, I mean, hell, we were just talking about the trail a minute ago and like breaking out, which I mean, in order to live that life, you have to accept being cast as an outsider and like breaking out of the capitalist, um, capitalist shit show, et cetera. Um, and yet is there a way that having that sort of sentimental relation to this, liberation narrative makes you more easily manipulable and is and is it better to stay inside the machine and find something more interesting to do to to turn it into a rave or disintegrate (laughs) the whole thing or whatever well it's i think it i think it what it does is it asks it the game the the actual game part of it is the fun you have with it yeah right like and then and, and like like the thing, what you were just saying, the like disco, but like, how, like, a they had to think, okay, what would people just randomly do? Just hang out on yeah. a platform <laughs> like for five minutes or two minutes right. or whatever, just to see what would happen, and 
and that that sense of like well i'm just gonna i'm just gonna see what happens here and like yeah. that's that's where the game is actually that's where it is a game and, and you're mm. not beholden to the narrative or anything and it's you're engaging right. with a sense of play and yeah. like and and discovery about like well what what is possible here it's like mm. hanging out in the yeah. burn closet like <laughs> all, apparently all of us did that Right. which is like as, which is the most non-game thing you could do is like i'm just gonna wait yeah. in this box and see what the fuck happens right. and and the fact that that there was a certain joy like i that was when i really sort of i was immediately was in yeah. love with this game because i was like oh you're gonna let me fuck with you okay i, I <laughs> let me see how far this goes like i like there's just yeah. this impish mischievousness that immediately is like oh boy let's see what right. happens right <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, finally, there's a door that I can open. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I, and then there was there was also this thing like I wanted to see like if I got out and then came back in, if I went mm. out and came back in, what would happen? And yeah. um, yeah, I think I think there is something to that, and there's something to. I mean, because that that's that's when you're free. Like I yeah. I I have this idea like that the whole arconic black iron prison is is the act of believing in the arconic black iron prison yeah like it's right. the thought itself that traps you in it yeah. like it's not actually there it's just that we we lend credence to that idea so then we create it yeah so there's a thing where you have to like drop it and then actually engage with the reality as it is mm. and like then it everything comes to life and it's much more and you're engaged with things so I, yeah. I think it's interesting that that's built into this game. Yeah, I think that's yeah. also like like the uh, sense of terror you get, um, right? From from the idea of someone else being in control and the idea in your head that that's possible. Hmm. That's what fucks you up. Because if you're yeah. if you're like okay, so if I were on acid and I were you know like twenty years old and playing this game. That shit might fuck me up for a few days, <laughs> yeah. right? But yeah. because like the, everything's so drastic and it switches so much, and like like the the reactions you're getting, like you're saying from the from the narrator, um, they change like like you have every kind of dynamic with them at one point, yeah, or another. And that's, I mean, that's basically schizophrenic feeling, um, <laughs> especially if you play it for more than like a couple hours at a time uh that that could get maddening and i just think that's i don't know that that's uh yeah yeah there's there's something to that like yeah the encouragement to follow right to like and like so one initially the basic encouragement to follow this narrator to follow the disembodied voices telling you what to do um but then also there's this open invitation to follow something else to follow just like whatever the fuck occurs to you, you know, get inside the broom closet or go to the executive bathroom and just like hang out there, get on this elevator that doesn't go anywhere and listen to some club jazz music for 20 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> like this. So, uh, okay, this is, I'm about to do a risky thing by referencing a book that I, I didn't read no idea what it's like. It was just like, in fact, I think this was on the trail. I was in um, a cabin. I think it was, I think it was Upper Goose Pond Cabin in Massachusetts. I pulled this book off of the shelf um, and it was called um, 
um, I think it was a Portuguese title, um, Mouche Voulant. Um, I don't know really how to pronounce it, but the book was about a guy who had discovered his mystical path by interpreting the motion of the little squiggly things that float on the surface of your eyeball as messages <laughs> from his higher guardian. And, and so it was like, he would ask cool. them questions and like whatever they told him to do, he would do. And um, I don't know how that ended for him. The book, the fact that there was a like new age inspirational book about it leads me to conclude that perhaps it was okay. Um, <laughs> you <laughs> this know, is amazing. But, <laughs> yeah. And, and like, as a, as a, um, you know, I was, I was a fairly OCD kind of kid. And so like having various forms of like bodily, um, discomfort or just like d various kinds of discomfort with facts of incarnation I would have found myself at times feeling entrapped by the fact that there are little things that apparently live on my eye and swim around and and I can't get rid of them they're just like there yeah um, and for him, instead of it being this sensory overload cage thing it become it became his entire like mystical path um, mm. that's and, uh, amazing yeah. Uh, I choose to believe that there's only one copy of that book and it exists only in that cabin <laughs> on the application yeah. trail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That, it was, that, that was a portal book. <laughs> like someone typed it in that cabin and found it there. <laughs> yeah. It says different things to different people. And just put it on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, it's like I'll, I'll be like talking to to one of my friends a few weeks when I'm up north and they'll be like, boy, do you remember Goose Pond? I found the most fucked up book there. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it, it says the same thing to them, for sure? Yeah. That's yeah. Amazing. Okay. Cool, cool. No, 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 no. It was... That didn't actually happen. I just oh. like, to, like to imagine. I was, I was, but it's like for them, they're like this guy started following those squigglies on his eye, and he ended up in this. He he discovered this prison camp in Wyoming, and it was like <laughs> horrifying. <laughs> or better yet, you like you like meet a guy on the trail who's doing that, and he's like, right. hey, like, oh, hang on, like I gotta, I gotta ask my spirits. And he like blinks yeah. a bunch of times and you're like, right. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Did yeah. you set this cabin? <laughs> it's like, I've been thinking about writing a book about this shit. I don't know if anyone <laughs> would care. <laughs> Dude, I promise at least one person does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but that is, I, I, I don't know if I brought this up on the show before, but I, I had a similar, like kind of a weird thing when I was a kid where I was suddenly aware of my breath and like uh, I was and I was like I'm going to have to do this forever. <laughs> right. And I like I tried to stop breathing. Mm -hmm. And then it it kicked in and I took a breath and I'm like no. Like why why do I have to do this always? Mm -hmm. And that and that yeah. was a really weird dissonant moment. It's it's funny because yeah. I think I think a lot of um I don't know if you've had a similar thing but like for me, there, there's, there's been this. It's taken me a while to sort of appreciate having a body, yeah. and like yeah. to really like engage with it, and like, it's mm. not a prison, right? And like, I think, I don't know if that, I don't know where that comes from. The yeah. whole our, our body is a cage thing. I, I mean, yeah. like, it's. I, I, I kind of. Was, I think it was Arcade Fire's fault. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, it, it's also though the. Um, 
I, I, um, Catholicism, right? Like, like 1500. Well, okay. Let me, let me rephrase that. Cause I don't mean to be down on, on the whole thing. Um, poorly interpreted, um, like proto Gnostic Catholicism, right? Like the, the sort of the less valuable strand of it. I, I would say it's probably stronger actually in Protestantism. Um, the idea that like, yeah, your body is the seat of temptation and, and you know, our incarnation is like somewhere between a test and a trick. And like the, the purpose of being incarnate is to let go of all of it so that you can go live your actual life in the afterlife in heaven. Um, and like, I mean, I don't, I think that's a pretty shit read. I think that there's a much better read on, on the whole, on Christianity and the Holy scriptures that a lot of the mystic tradition and you, you know, I mean, like you've got your, you've, You've got your Hildegards. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you've got your folks who broke out of that shit in the context of the Catholic Church. But um, I know, like, for me, that feels like it's very much a poorly disseminated attempt at some sort of Christian eschatology or, like, bodily teleology um, that devalues the body, uh, which is, is really interesting because I think the most cynical read on that actually undoes the whole thing because it's like if, if other interests have to tell you that your body is worse than worthless, um, is actually a cage, uh, and you shouldn't be listening to it, you shouldn't engage with it too much, um, you should instead let them tell you to do what to do with your body. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why do you, if my body is so worthless, why do you want access to it? Why do you want to like use it for anything? Um, exactly. If this is trash real estate, why are you circling the block, bitch? Why, why are you trying to buy this house? Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, you know, which I, I think is, is cool. I, I, I know that like, I, um, I feel like this will probably be relatable to y'all. Um, but like, I mean, one of the things that comes to me again and again through, through spirit work, um, you know, and I think in large part, some of the angel stuff was a strong starting point for this, um, but ancestors as well, that the entire, well, I don't want to be pre presumptuous, a huge, huge, huge portion of the manifold spiritual realities that unfold us are looking at the physical as the like the greatest, sweetest, most privileged mode of being. Um, you know, a lot of them are jealous of us. Um, a lot of them think it's hysterical too that we like have bodies and have to shit and stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it's probably especially the ones we were close to before we incarnated. You know, like your buddies yeah. are always the ones like watching, just like look at this asshole. Yeah. <laughs> pooping out of his butt like an idiot. Yeah. Uh, I what, can. What? Sorry. Go ahead. Well, when uh when we were doing the um the um it was either when we did the ninth sphere and the Solomonic working or when we did um the tenth the um Asim that uh some of the angels were like um we want you to keep doing trails because we just love that shit that you do with your legs. It's hysterical. That you're, like, <laughs> you're just like stomping around. Yeah. And I'm like, you're oh, like, like walking. They're like, yeah, that's brilliant. How are you? What even is that? And they're like, yeah, whatever. Whatever you call it. I don't care. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, well, when everything, when everything is no clip, when it's clipped, it's impressive. Right. 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 <laughs>
Yeah, that's yeah. it. It's like angels are just like living in de- in death mode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I really relate a lot to the whole like incarnation thing. Like, like I guess we all do, and that's an interesting thing, right? Like, like that it's such a it's such a struggle that we feel so estranged. We grow so estranged so easily from our bodies, and we allow others to tell us that they're they're bad or that. I don't know, or that they're weak, or that, um. or that we shouldn't identify with them. Um, and it's weird. It's like I think a healthy animus perspective is kind of like knowing, knowing your levels of how much and when to identify with different things. It's like yeah. you, you are you are your body while you're here. It's right. I think like Gordon White's this really good thing about like how your body is like just this organism that's here to to grant you the blessing of being in the world and and like you're saying like everyone that i've ever talked to that i look at as being like um more experienced than me with their practice or something or or have more years or something um uh they always say that 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 it's confirmed like that it's Uh such a great honor to be incarnate that it's like you have souls lining up for miles and waiting like forever to just get a chance to come here and be here. And, um, and it makes me think that, that then the, the game of like, whatever, whatever forces are against our, our happiness or whatever, whatever those forces are, um, or our being, are essentially trying to disconnect us from that. Right. Like the, like we've talked about with, um, with Tim, um, of, uh, Nightbird radio podcast. Mm. Um, Tim Sailor, like it's like the arconic condom, like like <laughs> right. if if there's the separation, uh, if you believe that separation, it's like in the game you can get frustrated by that by the Stanley Parable pretty easily and just like rage quit, but but at some point, like he says in the game, like if you just give up on trying to control things, you have a pretty good time, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah. That's sweet. And it doesn't really take away your agency because, like, you've chosen to relinquish certain aspects of control uh, in in order to have, like, a more full experience, and that's you winning. Like, Right. Yeah, because, like, if you you – you will still be given opportunities to decide things. Like, and, and I mean, in the game and in, in the game of, of – of incarnation as well that like you um yeah the everything gets incredibly boring and constricted when we clamp down and try to squeeze the wiggle room out of everything and like control things predetermine everything um and yet when we relinquish control enough to follow along inevitably we're led to a decision because decisions are just part of the they're just part of the fucking game you're not like allowed like i don't know you're i do think it would be interesting to to see if if there is i mean it's it's probably more of a story like i don't i don't think anyone's actually done this but someone who's gone through their life without making any decisions right like what what that would actually be like um but like if someone who's relinquished control enough to let things unfold, inevitably, inevitably you'll be forced to decide on something, um, and 
And, may, and maybe that's where the agency comes in. May, maybe it's a false choice, right? Like in the Stanley parable that sometimes that the choice is, um, the choice is, is, an, is an illusion because you're on a path in which you're only going to go back to the beginning no matter what you choose. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly where, where where that trail was leading to. <laughs> it felt so like it back was to the beginning, somewhere. obviously. Back to the yeah. <laughs> At the end is the beginning. Or no, wait. What does it say in the game? The end is never the end. Is never the end. Is never yeah, the end. Never the end. end yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's studying like a Taoist martial art. There's there's a lot of that like holding a paradox, hmm. where there's. Like a lot of the meditative state is you put your attention on per certain parts of your body and, okay. but then you don't, it's just, you, you leave it there. You don't try to do anything with it. Uh. So there, there's like, and, and the whole thing is riddled with that. Like mm. you're, there's part, like you move your arm by like, you might, you might move your arm down by thinking up okay. through your spine into the top of your head. And it's mm. like, <clears throat> Um, so there's this, it's like you're, 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 you have, it's like control and then also relinquishing control at the same time. It's a very weird yeah. thing. And wow. I, th I think that's kind of, that's basically, that's sort of what you're talking about. Like the, right. you make a choice to let things happen, but even within that, you, there's a container that's holding the possibilities, right? Yeah, yeah, right. <clears throat> you know, there's some, so to stick with the martial arts um, analogy, uh, yeah, what you were just describing with the Taoist practice was making me think of, there's a, um, so I, for, for a while I was doing, um, I, I would love to get back to it actually, but uh, I was doing a mixed um, martial arts where it was like um, Kempo, you know, just like Hawaiian Kung Fu essentially, um, was the basis, was our, like our classical martial arts basis and we were also doing Filipino arts um, and um, you know Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, Thai kickboxing um, normal kickboxing or whatever and so uh, a big thing that comes out of the Filipino hand-to-hand -hand arts is um, is flow drills uh, and there I've was one so <laughs> they're they're awesome they're like so much fun and uh, you know you've got your like basic like hubud um, you know which usually extends into like a knife defense drill. Uh, but um, one of the flow drills that met, that was the most intriguing to me, and I, I don't actually know if this was more of a Filipino practice or more of a Kempo practice, because uh, it was just really fusion-y at the time. But um, it, was, it wasn't really even a true flow drill. It was just make contact with your partner. It was like hands on forearms, I think. And then it was relax. Both of you relax, relax your arms let the movement unfold um and uh so um the partner i was drilling with for this particular drill was getting super frustrated with me because she was convinced that i wasn't relaxed and i was over here like i don't know what else to give you i'm just doing the thing and so because it's like our arms were moving around so much and so finally she called the sifu over and he was like okay let me try it tim and so I put my hands on his arms and we did it for a second. He was like, yep, that's it. You know, that's, 
and and like it was just because I understood why she was frustrated is what was so interesting to me because it was like almost like a Ouija board in some sense you're like where is the motion coming from you know if none of Mm. us are applying motor impulse Um, and yet when you when you put arms together and you both relax this motion happens and like maybe it is some sort of like sub some sort of like buried or unconscious motor impulses like taking over and moving things you know i don't know but it it also it also feels like that yeah maybe like what you're describing kurt that it opens up courses of action that you choose without having to choose or like activates this mode of interacting within you that is almost like choice but also like relinquishment and 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 peace yeah my uh my teacher actually uh he he describes the body as having its own intelligence and Uh. your job is to sort of like kind of when we like it's basically like when we when we consciously think through it we're actually getting in the way yeah and that's like what you're talking about is directly what they're trying to do it's like you're you go through the like for the martial arts you go through the forums and you go through the forums and you go through the forums the whole idea is just to like you're making your body know that. And yeah. then the the ideal is like you have an encounter and then like what he tells me is like the opponent will tell your body what it needs to happen. Yeah. Right. So it's like, it's uh-huh. all, it's almost like they're all, like whoever is in conflict with you, they're going to beat themselves. Right. And yeah. that's sort of what you're saying was happening with this, with your, with your training partner there is that yeah. they were, they were like, they were conscious of everything and they're, they're like directly involved. And because of that, yeah. they're getting in their own way and they're causing themselves to like foul up and like, and yeah. like getting defeated more or less. And it's right. really fascinating that that's, it's, that. it's like really <laughs> yeah, tapping into some mercurial shit, like allowing things to just go where they need to go. I mean, that's, yeah. that's essentially like what Bruce Lee was getting at. Which is, it's mm. interesting because his first martial art that he studied was Wing Chun. And right. I, I took Wing Chun right, for, feminine. yeah, yeah. And I, I took Wing Chun for about a year <clears throat> and um, it was actually from someone in the same, like my Sifu Sifu was learned with Bruce Lee in the same class. Wow, um, that's awesome. Yeah, from Ip Man. And, oh, cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, shit. yeah. And I, I really wish I'd stuck with it, but it was a really fucked up time in my life. But um. Mm. But so we did, we do sticky hands is what they call it. And and it's like putting your wrists together and just sort of like gently going back and forth and having no intention until things start to evolve into like, and then before you know it, like you're actually uh, kind of sparring and and not really thinking about it. Um, Uh, It's it's really cool. Really amazing how that, how it just, it just unfolds. Like if you can get into the zone. Um, wow. Like I, I would always smoke weed right before class because it made it so much easier for me to like not think. Nice, yeah, <laughs> dude. When when I get back to the martial arts, I, d- I definitely want, <laughs> yeah. I want that that to be more more of a component for me. I'm pretty convinced. Uh, <laughs> I'm fairly convinced that my seafood was stoned, but uh, <laughs> 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 I also um, I yeah, cheese, he was baby. great though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> high high on that dank chi. That, <laughs> That frosty chi. You just like borrow some stone chi from your high neighbors. Yeah. Like you exactly. don't need to buy weed or smoke weed. Like you just like yeah. borrow the chi from someone who's high. Yeah. 
They, they say that that's a big part of uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu training is that a lot of those guys mm. train stoned. Huh. Like, wow. I can get it. I, I get, I yeah. kind of get the, because especially if it's the right, uh, if it's the right strain, you'd be so embodied. Yeah. Well, totally. here's, this is, brings up an interesting point to me, okay? Because like, mm. so one of my first spirit contact, big spirit contacts was Kali and oh. Um, and we kind of like, I, I kind of fell out with her for a while and was kind of intensely digging into a, uh, an Asherah rabbit hole mm. and, um, and kind of come back around to working with Kali again a bit and finding that there's this whole, so the idea of, of like, a your, your katas or your, your mm. forms that you practice over and over again, that's like, like Kurt was saying, like this, this you have to know what's possible. You have to have like ingrained this field of possibility and of potential. And then within that things can be like happening um, as, as sparks or as jolts of, and it's like that dark, that dark feminine is the, the practice of ingraining that, that um, trend, those transparencies of possibility so yeah. that they're, they're always, they're passively there all the time. Um, right. It's just really interesting because I noticed that being like a, uh, like a thing working with a dark feminine aspect of 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 a spirit it's like um it kind of burns away everything except this pure being sort of aspect of self like you have so many wow. less less extraneous thoughts and less um like pointless emotions that float around like everything just kind mm. of burns up really easily um yeah. and i i think that's kind of like what it's like trying to remain in that state like you would be in while you're touching hands or sparring right. in, that, in that way. Yeah. And, you know, like, I think that's, I love how that applies, you know, bringing back in the Brazilian, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, Cause like, I mean, I've, I've only ever trained BJJ in the one, in the one dojo. Um, and so I haven't gotten to encounter this directly, but like, my understanding is that an American BJJ, increasingly, it's become a um, like a muscle thing, right? Like it's like very like like becoming increasingly like like anaerobic, like forcing, like you know throwing throwing moves that have like a lot of force put into them and. To me, that feels like it sort of defeats the purpose. I mean, one, it's a dangerous way to train because if you try to flip over somebody and they move at just the wrong moment, you will probably land somewhere you don't want to land. But um, to me, like my feeling of jujitsu when you're really in the zone is just this like this like an anaconda that's slowly cinching tighter and tighter. And like every every movement that they do eliminates space and eliminates options for them as as you're like closing in and circling around, um, and that like there is there is something that you could maybe call prototypically masculine about that, but I think it is again that dark feminine um, feeling, right? Feeling and and slowly wriggling and and eliminating instead of instead of like actively presenting generating totally totally i think boxing is boxing is much more like masculine and and like jujitsu is much more of a listening feminine sneaky sort of like oh and and i love that shit i did you ever did you ever get into pride fighting back in the day 
Are you aware like, of that? I like, feel like I watched some events. Um, okay, that was that was good shit because they didn't. Okay, when before they they got shut down because the yakuza was running it. Oh right. But okay. but like people like Kazushi Sakuraba and fucking Fedor Melenko, like back when they before they would keep before they would be like stand up and fight. Right. And that's that's all UFC shit. That's all since right. it's been Americanized, and they shut down mm. all the Japanese the Japanese outlet for because they would let them just grapple in the same yeah. position for like as long as it fucking took. Wow. Yeah. And those are the fights I liked. Like I mm. loved that shit back in the day. Yeah, that's cool. There, my um, my my Sifu encouraged us to watch the first two seasons of UFC before it. <laughs> Bef- yeah, before it went downhill, before it got, yeah, like you said, incredibly Americanized and they brought in weight classes and rules and everything. And it's like, <laughs> just like the carnage of like, of like, of like UFC one, um, where you've got like no weight classes, a true mixed, a, th- a true like style mixture. Um, and like, I don't know, this, this gets a little bit outside of the, of the specifics, the specific trail that we're walking at the moment. But like, you know, that on the one hand, um, Royce, it's um, okay. Gracie, some logs down. We're supposed to go. Okay, <laughs> sweet. We are now diverted. Uh, <laughs> so Brazilian Jiu Jitsu wins the whole thing at UFC one. And I think UFC two, but there is also, there's that the, there are a couple of really instructive moments before the BJJ takes everything where um, I think it's the guy who was uh, he was like a sabat um, kickboxer up against the sumo wrestler, which like, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's devastating to watch. Um, but like, you know, it's an incredibly short fight, but like there's. I feel like it's an it's a really good illustration. One, it's an excellent illustration of why you should not wish to be in an, in an altercation ever. And also, if you think you might, you have to develop the like eye of the killer, or you're or you're fucked, right? So like that that fight goes down where the Sabat guy backs up, basically trips up the sumo wrestler, and then you can sort of tell that there's this moment goes through the Sabat guy's head where he's like, "This is a sport." but there are no rules. So I guess I'm going to kick him in the mouth. And he just like, you know, kicks the dude in the mouth, instant knockout. And like a tooth goes flying. It's like devast. It's carnage to watch. Um, and, uh, but also you're like, okay, well that is, that is violence. Like that's the nature of violence. Um, that's, that's how it works. And you should, you have to respect the spirit of violence if you want to if you want to take up this study that it is uh that um it's the swiftness but it's also that like the eye comes first right like the vision or the feel of of what of what the potentiality is um before the before the foot moves before the hand moves um and yeah also mouth guards <laughs> <laughs> good, when, good to wear mouth guards, <laughs> and, and then also like the the willingness to make that that like oh I guess this can this can go that fucked up if I want it to, yeah right like if right. that was if that happened in the street and you tripped up a really huge guy and he fell on the ground, the fight's over just go away, run yeah, right. right run exactly run yeah, away yeah, yeah but like yeah. yeah. 
I don't, if, if there's a cage around you, you have to finish the fight. The fight, yeah. Yeah. It's it's also funny what you brought up about like associating it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with an anaconda because there's. Mm. I remember reading someone that was like really talking about. They relate. There's a Chinese martial art called Xing Yi, which has like okay. these specific animal forms. Okay. And and he talks about if you go in China and you find the actual animals, you can start to see how these movements kind of, kind of came out of how the animal. And he's like, it's uh-huh. really interesting that in Brazil, where they have anacondas, these giant constrictors, yeah. that the martial art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu emerged out of that country. Right. Almost like the, one of the spirits of the main predators found its way into yeah. the creation of that martial art. It's also funny because yeah. the, um, there's a whole aspect of that of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that I don't that I don't think is practiced anymore, which is they would get people in the guard and they would kick them in the kidneys with their heels. Oh yeah, right, right. Uh, and like it the would heel kick. Yeah. It's, yeah, and it would eventually like apparently you'd piss blood if you got into fights <laughs> with them, and they would do that, and it's like right. really really bad. <laughs> yeah. But that's all gone now. That's that doesn't. I don't. I don't even know if anyone practices that. Right. Well, so I will say, because uh, like, well, because Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a sport now, right? It's yeah. like you you train for competition, and um, I think that's the main reason the strand that I was doing didn't uh, didn't have these other um, like yeah the main the main reasons that that my teacher didn't teach these like more flamboyant demonstrative guard passes is because he's like. The only reason people are able to do that in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is because in competitive BJJ, your opponent can't kick you in the balls. <laughs> like in a, in a real situation, if you tried to do this like back handspring guard pass, they're just gonna hit you in the balls or whatever. Or like, yeah. you know, yeah. So he did tell you know we we did discuss the kidney the kidney shot. We didn't practice it right because like there's there's no there's no way to train that one like like what are you going to do you like run up and be like partners yeah yeah exactly hey dude listen i i know i didn't do it for real but you know that would have been a kidney shot so you should like you should lose your guard <laughs> right or like whatever um that's yeah that's interesting i i think like the you know it is it is too bad in some ways that these uh well whatever i feel weird saying this because like i'm not like a violent person i do have a mars aries placement so i just naturally (laughs) have to sort of gravitate towards like effective martial arts and that like analysis of it that um but it doesn't it does seem like it does seem like the anaconda would be disappointed that we've that we've taken out the 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 true like we've like taken the teeth out of it um I think I think all the uh, all the anaconda spirits are very disappointed in us. <laughs> like Aya and the actual river and like yeah. uh, and the trail. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. probably all pretty pretty upset. Oh, yeah. hmm. huh. <laughs> I'm not sure That's... which snake it would be. It, it would be worth figuring out because I think I think you're really onto something, Kurt, with the the trail being a being a serpent. Um, Probably out west would be the rattle. It would be the rattler because it's yeah. just like the PCT is is just all rattlesnakes. Um, at one point, I thought I was talking to like a burning bush, and it turned out just to be a, a rattlesnake. Was, Holy like, shit! The bush. And uh, yeah, I was a little bit stoned and was like, 
why is this bush rattling at me? There's not a snake. And I was like, oh, no, no, it, it's a snake. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Exit stage right. <laughs> It's time to get what, for what, it. Snake, uh, not snake. What, yeah. what, is the, what is the water moccasins? Aren't those the super dangerous? Yeah, they're also known as cotton mouth. Um, and they can swim, you know, is yeah. the, what's fucked about them. I've seen one once or twice. I've never been in a body of water and seen one, um, thankfully, because they move much faster than, than we do in the water. Well, they move a lot faster than I do, at least. I don't swim as well as I used to, but... <laughs> Yeah, I can't swim for shit. I'd be dead. Yeah. <laughs> what a what a way to die! You just see this because like they don't look like much. Like at least a rattlesnake is visually impressive, but a water moccasin is a it's like a true Tennessee lethal creature because it doesn't look like anything. It just looks like a little dark snake. Um, like oh how cool! There's a there's something wriggling towards me across the water. <laughs> it's just like like oh some some 16 year old on a bike and then like yeah. they shoot you you know <laughs> right exactly <laughs> oh wait so are is there a whole are you telling me that tennessee is secretly the australia of the u.s like it's just a little bit like it's, dangerous things <laughs> i think it's it, i like to say it's the australia of the south so we have um <laughs> black we have we have black widow and brown recluse um, oh, yeah. And uh, brown recluse in particular is bad because they don't look. They they also don't look like much. They look a lot like a wolf spider. Yeah. Um, but they're small. They're like smaller than a wolf spider. At least with a black widow, you can see them. You can see them yeah. coming, and you you know immediately when you see one. Um, but like, I mean, we have. I once saw. I've seen black widow and brown recluse in like deep in inside of Nashville, like on, on my campus during school, I like stepped over a black widow on the steps to the music building. I had brown recluses in my apartment in, in like in metropolitan Nashville, like not even out in the sticks. Um, yeah. Then like water moccasin. Also the, uh, the plant life, the, the plant life is not lethal, but it's just grungy as fuck. Um, we have chiggers, Y'all know what chiggers are? Oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I've been covered yeah. in them many times. Like yeah, a nightmare. Lord, creature. yeah. The worst, the worst one. I, the worst chigger treatment I ever did was I blasted my legs with a hair dryer to try to burn up the toxin, and <laughs> that is like, until recently, I don't remember what it was. Something did eventually top that, but that was my most painful experience for years. Um, yeah, I, found, I found the best thing that worked for me was just a, a, a cigarette charity. Oh, okay. Just individually burn yeah, them just one by one. Yeah. Fucking end the, deaden the, the nerve there. Right. Yeah. Oh, so I, it's I, funny. <laughs> Go ahead, Kurt. Oh, no. I was like, oh, I was, I was thinking of a different thing because the chiggers are the little red bugs. They're yeah. in like Spanish moss sometimes. Oh, mm. it's funny. I, I think I, growing up, I had a friend that called these other. It's like these types of seed pods that were like basically like Velcro that would get all over the place oh, that he called chiggers. I just, I just lost your audio. Hitchhikers, but they were a different thing. So I've never actually oh. been unfortunate. I've never I've been fortunate to not be covered in chiggers before. So, oh, so I I unfortunately missed almost all of your audio after you said you had a friend, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the audience probably got it, <laughs> so they can. <laughs> I guess they can catch oh, me up. Wait, is it, it is it working? <laughs> It is now, yeah. Okay. I think it was. I think it was a connection issue of some sort. Oh well, um, I was just. I was just saying that. Um, 
those are the little red bugs. And yeah, I had a friend that called there's a there's a type of seed pod that's like Velcro that clings okay. to everything. Oh yeah, right. Those bird yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. he uh he called them chiggers, but they're actually okay. our hitchhikers that he had two names for them. But that but okay. it's a different yeah. thing. Yeah. So I, I have been fortunate <laughs> to not be covered in those little insects. It's really nice. funny. My um my it's like every time I tell my wife like a story about the states, like just in California or Florida or Ohio or anywhere I've been or like, you know, Appalachia somewhere. She, right. She's just like, it sounds horrifying. It sounds like, every, <laughs> like everything's trying to kill you. And like, yeah. it took me a little while to realize I was like, well, you guys have like, you have like bears here, right? Here in Denmark. And she's like, no. And I'm like, we have like wolves though, right? And she's like, every once in a while. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> like uh, mosquitoes not that many but right. like, and it and it just like like we have some badgers near the house right now and that's like talk of the town that's like the scariest <laughs> yeah. thing in the whole country i'm like right. poisonous poisonous <laughs> snakes she's like maybe one i, I don't think they exist though like right. just yeah like, it's that's literally like, fairy tale land like no wonder the vikings are right. so violent they're like they're like nothing's trying yeah. to kill us. This is boring. Let's fucking we, we raid. Need some more excitement. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Like, what? So after um, when I graduated high school, my high school graduating class took a trip to um, through the UK, and that was my first um, time in Europe. Um, well. England doesn't always consider itself to be part of Europe per se, but like, you know, we, I had this cause like all them continental fuckers too. Yeah. So like I had this moment cause like in high school I was a, I was a little bit of a poetry nerd and I loved Wordsworth and Coleridge. Um, I liked the early romantics in particular. And then I later got into like Shelley and, and company, but, um, I remembered being really horrified when I tried to do some William Wordsworth shit in America and I got infested with insects, right? I tried to like <laughs> run through a field or whatever. And I was like, <laughs> is Wordsworth just full of shit? And then it wasn't until I went through the UK and like laid down in a park somewhere and I was like, oh, there just aren't any fucking bugs here. There's <laughs> nothing <laughs> to like infest me. So that's why he was able to like frolic in the high grass and <laughs> that's like this this english like superiority thing you know they like go to africa and they're just like well this is fine you know it's yeah. all ours like we, there's right. no no experience of like a lion eating you so they're right. just like <laughs> in the sheer confidence coasted them their whole empire yeah yeah that's funny in a way they're 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 natural born prey it's just i guess because of um financial interest that they were able to <laughs> subjugate everybody <laughs> fucking mind games uh. yeah exactly <laughs> dude um but by, by the way though on, again on the topic of like american dangerous creatures um when i was on the pct so there there were two there were two wake up calls for me on the pct the one that was a little bit more chill was that i was you know i did a fuck ton of night hiking and um out in the desert um you can night hike without uh without a headlamp because it's so well lit and the sand is so like reflective and every night well like you know i spent dozens of nights just like walking and um I would like look down at the trail and be like, it's so cool how the sand glitters. There's like this silvery glitter to the trail, you know? And I was like, how neat. And then it was like a couple months later, I was heading up into the Sierra Nevada and I got underneath the tree cover 
and I was it was I was like night hiking out into the Sierra and I turned my headlamp on and I and I suddenly discovered all those neat little silver sparkles were scorpions. Oh shit. <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay. The trail is literally paved with scorpions at night. Okay, I'm, that seems low-key. I'm sure it's fine. Uh, but by far, the, the much more intimidating experience was I was in the, in the SoCal desert, and I saw my first tarantula. And I was like, holy shit, look, look, look at this fucker. And then I was like, wait a minute. Why isn't like he's moving, but he's not moving his legs at all. He's just locomoting across the sand. And I looked closely and um, and I realized right as he disappeared down into a hole, he was being dragged along by this little orange butted, tiny little wasp looking thing. And I later learned it was the tarantula hawk, which yeah. uh, paralyzes the tarantula, keeps it alive so that its, its larva can eat the live flesh of the tarantula as they grow. Um, and uh, I was later told that the um, so I think they have the second most painful toxin known to humankind. And uh, the official advice is if you get bitten by a tarantula hawk, because it takes it takes about 20 to 30 seconds for the for you to feel it. But if you know that you've been bitten, they tell you to lay down on the ground, clutch up and then start screaming before the pain starts. So that way you've got a nice head start. Um, <laughs> if the pain starts and you're, and you're not already screaming, there's no telling what you'll do to yourself to make the pain stop. Oh, my God. It's, yeah. it's literally the Ridley Scott wasp. Yeah. Dude, I, if, there's, nice. if there's any evidence of evil in reality, it's wasps. Yeah, dude. Nothing about them is right. cool. Like everything they yeah. do, like like what you're talking about with the tarantula hawk, like they have so mm. there's another one that like there's a certain they prey on a certain type of caterpillar and they just uh. inject their eggs live into the caterpillar and eventually the eggs burst open and just eat it from the inside out. Yeah, but it's like, cool. Oh, Jesus. It's cool because it's a fungus that that hijacks wasps. but i mean like all the wasps are like that and then they also Mm. tend to look they tend to look the most evil too they're usually like really (laughs) sleek and like pointy and like yeah it's just so strange they they look like something the military designed in another dimension yeah exactly yeah totally (laughs) it's like it's like bees are the caretakers left by whoever the archons killed and then the wasps <laughs> are like archonic bees. They're like, we, we can do this bee thing. I think it's actually like, it's really cool to me that bees are agents of the goddess because like yeah. uh, Kali and Hakate are both associated with bees. And, oh, nice. And you have this queen ruling everything um, vibe going on. So like, yeah. I, I tend to look at bees as being like these agents of like pure creation. Like totally they make I love their, that. their maintenance you know and they're yeah, and, right. they, and they make nature's candy right yes. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 they're just here to bring that... sweetness they're like they like they like make love to flowers and then give us this delicious nectar <laughs> there are a lot of people like that survive on just the calories from honey and then they get like yeah. you know their protein from other sources or whatever yeah locust right like like um, John the Baptist. <laughs> uh, no, that's a really nutritious diet. 
Um, uh, I think that's what Klaus Schwab had in mind. I was about to say, yeah, we will all be on that diet soon. Well, it'll be low. Well, no, honey, high- they're, they're killing the exactly. on purpose. Right. Now. It'll be high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I heard they were actually killing bees on purpose now. Um, yeah. And, it's fucked. Yeah. I, I think, I think that was like the last, that's like, that was my moment when I entered into the real life Stanley experiment. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. It's like the um y'all know in in um in the Mass Effect games on the uh the station or whatever, there are those like worker drones and nobody knows nobody knows what they are, what they're for. Um, but they're just hanging out and like taking care of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, keeping the uh, keeping the station running. And uh yeah, I mean that's that's basically what bees are. You know, they're just, 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 just here to be nice and take care of shit. And so, of course, they're like angels. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah, man, they're little buzzy angels, little bumble butted angels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're like charity little things. And so, like, yeah, of course, of course, Klaus wants to kill all of them. Yeah, because he's literally a sock puppet for something else at this point. Yeah. He's why we can't have nice things. <laughs> yeah, why do these old evil fucks just last forever? Does that, that guy already yeah. looks like a corpse. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, man. I really think it's, it's just like a Stephen King plotline where it's one one or, or a, set, a group of entities that just possess people in power or possess the people that are willing to sacrifice aspects of themselves right. to get to power. And so that yeah. by the time they get there, they don't have their humanity left. And like the people that have the power are more um, arconic, like machine like than they are human, humane or human. Um, yeah, I think that makes sense, man. And there's also and that there's maybe like in some ways, maybe this is even the same uh, metaphor. But the, the notion that they're replacing all of their vital organs regularly because they just have access to, you know, like I, <laughs> I need a new liver. Um, I guess I'm. I'll just text my liver guy and then go and <laughs> get my liver replaced. But, uh, there's also. You know, oh my like, god! I think, I'll meet you for lunch. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not under the overpass because they they don't have to be super sketchy like that. They can go to like a um, whatever their ritzy restaurant is, um, and I don't. I don't actually know where Klaus lives. I guess he's someplace in in Central Europe or... I think it's so far underground that it doesn't actually count as any country. Okay, right, <laughs> yeah. He's he's li- he's living in, um, was it from, from Narnia in um, Bism? The, like, <laughs> subterranean fire land or whatever? Um, but, like, I, I wonder this about about Kissinger a lot because he's ancient, too. Um, I check periodically. I believe he's still alive. Um, they've, they're have they doing a convincing um, impression of him s- still being alive, at least. And, like, <laughs> I, I wonder sometimes. So, like, you'll know in um, um, Pulp Fiction, if you pay super close attention in Pulp Fiction, you'll realize every person, well... I didn't pay super close attention, so this could be wrong. I believe everyone in Pulp Fiction who kills somebody gets killed by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, with maybe, with, with the exception, with the exception of of um, Samuel L. Jackson, right? Like everybody else, if, if they kill someone, they, they, they get killed usually pretty shortly thereafter. Um, 
And uh, it's like the exact opposite of how it is in real life. <laughs> and so it's like, I wonder if Kissinger, because he's responsible, even just from his policies alone, for the deaths of all, all of these countless people, that that is some sort of vampire effect is like, you know, that that is the equivalent of his like unicorn blood that's just been indefinitely extending his existence. This is a really fascinating subject to me because <clears throat> so studying all the Thai cult stuff, how when there's someone who dies a violent or a sudden death, they leave, they, they, sometimes they don't know they die and they get stuck, right? Yeah. So what the Ajarns do is they move them on. They, they work out a deal where it's like, I will move your soul on so you're not stuck anymore. Mm. If you agree to leave your remaining life force that you never used, like throughout time, like from here until yeah. when you should have died, that's charged in your body. So if you agree okay. to leave that energy here for me to use, wow. then I will use that in, that materia in ambulance to help other people's lives. And okay. then when the spirits that I can that they construct around that, they kind of use it like a battery. And then they okay. construct like a servitor around that, mm -hmm. um, or what we would understand as a servitor. Yeah. And then so if then they sell those and they they do things for people and they help you with your life. When they help you, then you you have to go do something nice for someone else and then donate the merit that creates to the amulet. And that okay. goes to the soul of the person in the next life and helps them have a better life. So like wow, there's this weird, sweet. like fascinating, beautiful spirit economy going on where everybody wins wow. from tragedy. But what yeah. gets me is the terrifying like like Jeff Epstein Island class. Right, the diabolical version of it. Who understand that murder creates powerful uh, right. materia that, yeah, I, I just, I, can't, I haven't been able to get out of my head like the like, if this stuff is that workable, that there's this entire system in Southeast Asia that it's, it's just commonly accepted that this works, right? Um, yeah. Right. So what are the, yeah. So when you said the vampiric thing, I'm just like, yes. Like something yeah. like that, because how else do these people, how else are they so fucking slippery? Right. Constantly escaping their karma, escaping mm -hmm. their justice. I also do wonder because, I mean, I guess I kind of have to believe this. Um, and I, I, I think that I do believe this. Um, you know, I don't think they can escape it indefinitely. And uh, in that case, it's like, well, no wonder they would. I mean, of course, they would do anything to extend their life. Like there, there are um, when you talk about like the inevitable transhuman trend and like, you know, the, the body upgrade thing is already becoming a possibility and it will be probably an imminent possibility within the next, you know, 10 to 15 years or whatever. Um, I feel like. I mean, hopefully everyone else is doing this too. My, for me, I engage with that by being like, all right, here's my line. Um, and it's my, my line is pretty, <laughs> my line is pretty fucking short into the technological transhuman revolution. I'm like, I don't actually, yeah, <laughs> I consider, yeah, like, like, like dying my hair is a technological intervention I would probably <laughs> allow, right? And then beyond that, I'm like, not too keen <laughs> on the rest of it. Um, like the printed word. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that shit's great, you know? After that, we start to go a little bit sideways. I love my microphone. I don't need to get my microphone installed into my throat. That's okay. I'll keep doing it this way. Um, and so, like, presumably the, like, legacy model humans are going to die out um, and then everyone else is going to live and they'll be super technological. Uh, but of course, like, of course you have to bank on that. If you've, if the life that you've lived has been so riddled with horrifying karmic implications that like, you know, it's like the, um, in the, um, Tibetan, uh, the Tibetan mythology of the, um, so that like, if you don't take up the practice, if you just follow karmic exchange through life after life, you eventually become a god, right? And you, you live in the realm of the exalted gods whose life is their entire existence. It's a long, long existence, but they're just hanging out in the heavenly spheres, you know, having great food, fucking other gods, just living this incredibly, incredibly privileged existence. And it says in the text that they spend the entire time in horror because that's that's their final form the, there's no place for them to go after that but grasshopper like once <laughs> once you've reached that point now like i mean of course you know henry kissinger is not that <laughs> but also there is something to be said for he's like well shit this is my best existence because of what i've done um the scale has to be balanced out at some point and uh yeah, man, I wouldn't. I'm not jealous of of Kissinger when he walks up to see, you know, the feather and the scale, and has to has to put his heart down on that motherfucker. Yeah, whether it's like Saint Peter or or uh, you know whoever, it doesn't fucking matter. Anubis. Yeah, there's, there's somebody waiting. <laughs> yeah, for yeah, Peter's gonna be like, all right, next. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> All right, listen, can you sit down, buddy? Uh, <laughs> I don't I like, have to give this speech very often. <laughs> I like to, gonna... I'd like to think St. Peter got laughs until he vomits. <laughs> like, like, stop, <laughs> clean up on aisle four. He's like, listen, all that hell shit that y'all made up to scare people, we actually have been working on it for about a thousand years just for you. <laughs> <laughs> we saw your ass coming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they're just they're just like okay put your heart on the scale and he just pulls out like a pickle jar filled with flies and shit <laughs> yeah he's like he's like which one uh i haven't i don't know what happened to my original heart but i've got this heart from a zambian uh refugee that i've been uh i've been like, holding on to voice why does this boom. have bites out of it what are you doing yeah you hear like a, a voice booming from down below like yeah. Down here, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> Come to Papa. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's fun imagining special hells for terrible people sometimes. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I mean, I'm somebody's got to imagine them. I, I'm totally. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm totally with you, though, Timmy. Like, I don't like. There was a point where this stuff, I found this, the crazy uh, I, I found that stuff fascinating. And then after a while, mm. I'm like, if you have, especially if you have any actual engagement with people who actually code stuff or work on yeah. technology, you're like, this is not whatever you <laughs> think this is going to be. It's not going to be that. It's going to be a total shit show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like to think, um, and whatever, I'm like, 
spoilers. This is a sci-fi project I was working on uh, for a while. I'll probably bring it back at some point. But the idea that the singularity is a bad trip and we like the singularity starts and then five seconds later we turn it off but in that five seconds it's been like seven hundred thousand years of torture uh, <laughs> um, and like yeah i think i mean i don't know i do think that you can you can probably technologize away the human heart and the human mind but the human spirit is going to do what it's going to do and uh if you if you fuck it up badly enough it will it will shut the whole thing down and uh you know i think there's a huge i i do think that there's a beautiful story that begins after the singularity after that shit explodes and you know we turn shit off and people wake up and vomit a pile of nanotech onto the ground and like have to learn how to breathe again with normal like red blood cells and like normal lungs um I think the, uh, I actually kind of think the singularity is just the, it's just technology's heaven's gate. Uh, like it's, it's just the myth that they made up to give some kind of heavenly hope or some kind of heavenly grand, um, yeah. divine idea to technology's apex. Like, I, I don't believe it's right. a real thing at all. <laughs> yeah that's cool I, and like i i mean i i recognize too that like because when i was super invested in it as a, like a college kid i i thought it meant that i wasn't going to have to die and i was like horrified of dying and i was like oh no it's cool other people had to but millennials don't have to die unless <laughs> unless you die young then you know it sucks to suck and I like genuinely believed that, or like I wanted to genuinely believe it, you know? Uh, it prevented me from having to accept death. And uh, um, which, you know, spoilers, uh, everything gets better once you do accept death. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So wait, that that's, is, that's literally the, the digital heaven's gate then? Like, yeah, 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 totally. You can, you, um, what is the, the, the lyric everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to die oh e even even better there's this awesome poem I think I read it for a poetry class in college um, it's called um, Ode to the Maggot and uh, it's um yeah it's just this ode to maggots it's 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 beautiful it's a beautiful poem but um the final the final line of the poem is nobody gets to heaven without going through you first <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's just it's just wonderful. I I love that shit. That's really good. There, there's also a part of me that thinks of this as like one giant uh, douchebag trap. Like mm. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll nice. flip the singularity and it'll suck all these fucking people in, and then we can just eject them into the sun. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, oh, there we nice. go. Yeah, we finally <laughs> fucking got rid of these guys. Oh my god, I'm yeah. Now, uh, I'm now holding the Chad drive in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the rapture for Silicon Valley. <laughs> right. <laughs> like suddenly there are a lot of there's a lot of free parking there. That's all. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'm thirsty. I gotta step away and get a sip of water. Yeah, I'll yeah, be, uh, that's like cool. In two seconds. I'm gonna go pee. Take your time. Take your time. All right. Oh, okay. Well, we're we're all doing this. There's still okay. a podcast <laughs> happening, even though there's nobody. Zoom is is the podcast. It's incredible. All Kurt. all the listeners can take yeah. a pee break too. Yeah, I don't know if you know. It's not live.
No, it is. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, never mind. Yeah, yeah just hurry. Is. Hurry then. Hurry then. It is. It is. Hey, listeners, we're back. <laughs> I, I, there's a part of me that thinks that you should just leave the silence in. Yeah, why not? <laughs> well, actually, no, I'll probably put one of Timmy's songs in the middle. Oh, that's a good call. So, yeah, yeah. and we're back. <laughs> Kinda. Is that your AC or his AC? I think it's his. I turned mine off. Oh, that's fine. I mean, I don't give a shit. I think there was. Uh, I keep getting sirens too. I'm, I'm having to mute. Cause... I'm actually surprised with how decent Audacity's built-in like noise reduction shit can be if you tweak it a little bit. Oh, really? Like, so you're not really picking that stuff up, or it's not that prominent? Oh no, it is, but like, I think when I put it in the, the like open source audio editing program, Audacity, then, mm. then it'll probably, like those effects are decent for cutting it out for free anyway, it's decent. Mm. So. So we've just uh, jettisoned the Chad drive off into the, into the heart of the sun. <laughs> I was trying to I was trying to think of what the Chad drive stood for. So it's like cybernetic hubris asshole dream. I, I'm not sure. Like... <laughs> mm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, love it. I love this. The Chad drive. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely an acronym of some kind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's That's also what... not. <laughs> we we finally understand what the what the Pink Floyd song set the controls for the heart of the sun was actually about. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I just spent a minute being like, "Hang on, controls for the heart? Uh, nah." <laughs> Ch fuck. Um, <laughs> controls for the heart of Apollo's domain. <laughs> yeah, ooh, ooh, that's ooh. that's the closest. That's classy. But also the 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 the, the chads would the chads would not go that uh, that um, 
romantic with it, I don't think. Uh, it's almost it's almost too poetic. Yeah. It's like like accelerationist dream or something. Yeah. <laughs> The rest of the show is just going to be us thinking of acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I'm okay with it. There's no pressure. <laughs> uh, Man, this sure is nice having a fucking actual setup here. Oh yeah, yeah. how's your how's your new machine? Well, I borrowed the mic for the um, I borrowed the uh, well yeah, the mic too. The mic and the camera for my wife, but I got a new desktop in here, and it's like I can actually sit um, back in this chair before I had I had cables running from the living room into the room oh, yeah. and then I had my laptop set in here so I could see other people's faces but then like my screen wouldn't show up when I talked at all because oh, right. it's so <laughs> fucking stupid yeah I definitely know I, I definitely know that game where it's like crisscrossing cables and like weird like multiple devices and shit I, I uh, was, was glad I worked it out this time back uh, at the start of the pandemic when I was trying to sort out my virtual audio game I like had to do this thing where none of my audio would talk to each other so I would have like I would like record my audio on my computer but people I would talk to would have to listen to me through the camera the camera <laughs> mic and then my audio would go into my headphones and their audio would go out to a speaker that I had to send <laughs> the others <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the way I've recorded like uh, like an album, like a demo album yeah. before, you know? It's, yeah. There, there, honestly, there is an ethos to that sort of Frankenstein like gear setup. Yeah. <laughs> There's something like weirdly satisfying. We're like, all right, I know this is fucking stupid, but it's working. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think that there's, like, you, you get some kind of vibes out of that. If, as long as the music isn't bad. Like, right. if, if you can make whatever you're doing work for a lo-fi sound, and yeah. you just, like, have... Like, there should be there should be professional recording, professional lo-fi recording on a, on a budget. Like, like yeah. some kind of, like, class for that. Because yeah. I think the more weird and elaborate it gets, the more you have this feeling of ownership and like involvement and, and like mad scientist level like creativity going on. So that yeah. the, whatever you're laying down has the vibes of the fucking crazy room you're in. Totally, totally, yeah, dude. You know, it's it's funny you say this because um, something I've been thinking about lately, uh, through just a weird string of synchronicities, um, uh, I don't know exactly. I don't. I, I have no idea what's going to happen with this. I'm just kind of just begun to pull on the thread of it. But a house a houseboat recording studio. Um, and actually, fuck. Speaking of Pink Floyd, um, David Gilmore has one of these. Um, the, so like, you know, it's been done. But like, yeah, you know, get a little houseboat, set up my um. Y'all y'all can't see because I uh, they're all on the other side of the camera. But I have a bunch of acoustic panels. Um, set up here and I'm about to make a whole bunch more of them because I won this art grant uh, a couple months ago nice. but oh, like, Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah thanks. It's, I, I just bought uh, four Microphones with it for the for the like start of the funds and I'm gonna get some more uh, you know um, Get a new machine for a portable rig and build some more panels and stuff, but like set that shit up on the boat um, and then 
do do sessions where like it will still be a good sound because I'll have all my gear, but there probably will also be the sound of water on almost all the records, mm. right? <laughs> so it like becomes like part of the sound. Like I don't know, I can't, I haven't quite decided yet because I admit I'm a little bit of a um, uh, the the deeper into audio production I get, the more of a hard ass I become about some things, and so I don't know if by the time I get to the houseboat, they'll actually be content with having background noise on like every single recording, but. There is something enticing to think about that, that it's like the sound of the river, the sound of this dock that we're sitting at. And like, in order to make the record, you have to step off the land and step into the flow, right? Mm. Um, and um, somewhere out there, my ancestors of boating are like super into it. So <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> there's would a this, whole other ethos there. Would this be on a river or what do you think? Yeah, yeah, it would probably be on the Tennessee River um, or uh, uh, God, I, this is awful. I, I get my I get my Tennessee rivers confused. I believe I'm at the intersection of the Tennessee and the Rogue River. Um, and then the Cumberland, I think, is the one is the river that goes through Nashville. Um, but so, yeah, I would I would probably be on the rivers, uh, be a little bit tempting to go down. Um, to float all the way down or like you know hook up with the mississippi and go down to the gulf or something but um you know up north of here like i believe that tennessee is about as far north as you can go to have living on a houseboat be a valid option in the winter time as well because uh you know much farther north you start to deal with um boats don't like the winter time that much mm -hmm. as it turns out <laughs> there's there's a titanic joke in there somewhere <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of crazy to think that there's a, like this whole other method of travel that's like right there that you yeah. could potentially like jump into yeah and it's like I, completely to the uh, like running parallel to most of the road structures and everything it is yeah very... and we barely do anything with it yeah. You know, and like you don't even for one of the directions, you don't even have to power it. <laughs> as long yeah. as you've got time to wait, you can just you can just let the river take you where you need to go. And um yeah, we make almost almost no use of it. We just move, you know, like we'll you'll you know, I'll see barges coming up the Tennessee River from time to time near here and then like somebody's yacht and that's about it. Um Yeah, yeah there's I just I miss I miss the way the world used to be. Like I love I love river cities because they you you look at them and you're like you exist because you make sense because of the river. Yeah. Because of the same way that that movement in in martial arts works, right? It's the flow. It's yeah. Like people move through here at this point, then boats move through here at this point, and like the place where the land is the most favorable, and it's the most favorable to get onto the river from the land. That's where the fucking city happens. Right, you know, it's yeah. it's just really cool how how it just emerges. Um, yeah, I, I like to think about what the land was like there before the city, and in the sense that time is less than linear. That, in some sense, there's always a city there. Um, hopefully, through time, it was less of a shit show than your average American city typically cracks up to be. But like, yeah, that that land that land was always meant to be something right and and like as as a habitable space or as a habitable location rather um 
Yeah, that's that. I love, I love that shit. Like geography as not as destiny, but geography as like accommodation. Maybe I don't know. I don't know what the right turn of phrase for it is. Um, but like, yeah, did the did the land dream of a city before the city was there? Um, and was that city just waiting for the right place to hold it? It's like, yeah. Or did the spirit of the city just emerge there at the right time because it was habitable? Right. Um, like yeah. maybe there's a city spirit that exists already mm. and then the conditions are right. So it just emerges into the world for a little while and then it ducks its head back down. Like that's, yeah. I kind of like to think of it like that. Yeah, it's like a weird, it's like a weird flower <laughs> spirit that like slowly blossoms for yeah. 500 years and then it wilts and the yeah. petals fall away. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. Where civilization is like, is it's almost more like, or, or empire is more like a virus, like a, a seasonal flu that just like right. spreads <laughs> and fucks everything up and then eventually dies itself out, you know? Yeah. From overexposure. Right. <laughs> Ex- extended its reach too much, yeah. or the sun just burns it up and cleanses it. <laughs> The cosmic vitamin C <laughs> comes for it. We'll have to throw the Chad drive on it, let it be taken out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like already imagining like some freak, like out of out of infinite possible realities, one of those possible uh, realities, Chad fuses with the spirit of the sun. And, it, and and then in the future, it's like, there's like, hail Chad, and they <laughs> Yeah, y'all know, um, y'all have seen the Teletubbies thing where the sun with the baby's face rises in the morning, <laughs> and like, instead it's, <laughs> yeah, the sun <laughs> comes up and it's like, morning, bro. <laughs> 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 Don't forget to microdose before you code. Yeah. <laughs> the sun salutation is still basically the same as it is only you have to lift while you're while you're doing it. <laughs> Did everybody bench today? <laughs> Sweet traps, bro. Sweet traps. <laughs> Sweet traps. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I'm, uh, I remember there's this really great series of videos that's, uh, I think it was on Vice ages ago when that was actually interesting and cool, which mm. was, I believe it was David Cho. He had this, he did this series that was just him hitchhiking. Oh, cool. And one of them was like, they bought a really cheap raft and just jumped on the Mississippi <laughs> and like, just like wow. drifted down it for a couple of days and like. That's badass. I, it's amazing. Yeah, and like, it's funny because it's a similar thing to, to like going on the trail, right? Totally. It's, it's this yeah. other like whole parallel liminal space that just Dude, exists. Yeah, I gotta tell you, I've been I've been dying to try that for a few years now. I've been been wanting to do a long float, and uh, it doesn't take as long as doing a trail either because you just move so much more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I would love to try that. There's also, I mean, speaking of hitchhiking, uh, is its own weird 
proxim has its own proximality to that as well. And um, like, yeah, hitchhiking is such a, f I, you know, it's, um, it's kind of a part of trail life because uh, you have to get to town to buy food and stuff. Um, and like the sorts of, both the experiences you can have hitchhiking um, and this the variability of that. Um, mostly it's good, like for, for the most part, people who stop to pick up hitchhikers are pretty chill people. Um, and sometimes they'll like give you things. Uh, there've been some extreme gift circumstances that result from that. Uh, also, you will meet some crazy motherfuckers hitchhiking. Um, but in general, like the, 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 the mental space of trying to get the hitch of like, <laughs> like standing on the road and like God knows how long you're going to be there as just car after car passes by you, you know, and like big rig trucks drive by you and you're like, should I try to hitch this truck? Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> and, and it's like, it feels like you actually are doing something energetic when you hold the thumb up like that. Um, and like when you have enough successful hitches, despite all of the hundreds of failures, because I guess in a sense, every car that passes you is like a failed hitch. You do start to feel like like your thumb is a is a powerful tool is some sort of like magical implement. Um, and also just because it makes it makes overly civilized people look at you like you've a, a suggested some obscenity to them by like, <laughs> like, like you flip them off instead of holding out your thumb and they're like, what? It's, God, it, look at that disgusting person. <laughs> it's almost like having a grimoire but not knowing uh, planetary hours or astrology at all. <laughs> yeah, and you're just like, right. like, I'll just try this a million times and one of these times it's going to summon something that helps me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hap haphazardly trying operations until, yeah, eventually you're like, oh, it's Subarus. Okay. <laughs> you write it down like like yeah. okay so this stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. possibly only red right exactly <laughs> do the usual look for a red Subaru <laughs> from the west yeah. from the west yeah <laughs> uh, directionality of hitchhiking that's awesome God, that makes me think of like you know the like hobo symbols that they they would have, mm -hmm. uh, and like that whole thing, like I, I that, that's another one that fascinates me is the is the like rail tramps like jumping trains. Oh yeah, yeah, I've met a couple of those guys. But that shit's super yeah. dangerous. Super dangerous, yeah. Oh. Most apparently not least of all because the other, um. Yo, what's 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 the um what do they call themselves? It's not it's not uh, um it's not railbird. That's something else. <laughs> but uh, I forget the term for um for someone who's always jumping trains. Um, but yeah, like the other, it's like the um orientation is incredibly dangerous because the other the other train kids will like fuck you up <laughs> uh, mm. if they like catch you on their train or whatever. Yeah, have you uh, have you guys ever heard of a, a movie called Emperor of the North? It sounds kind I'm, of familiar, but I'm not sure. It's so fun. Um, I mean, it's intense, but I fucking love it. It's it's about a guy who's a train hopper hobo, mm -hmm. and he like kind of lives in a hobo town, and he's Mister like I can do fucking whatever I want. I'm I'm Mister Top Top Dog of the hobos. Yeah. 
Right. And there's this one train line that nobody rides because the, the conductor is notoriously cruel and, like, okay. aims to fuck up anyone who gets on. And he has all these clever ways of doing it. Um, so the whole film is him just like, like, no, I'm fucking, I'm riding the North line. And the whole thing is just him trying to not get killed by this conductor. And it's old. It's like, wow. I think it was like made in the fifties and it's fucking great. Sure. You should, you should see it. It's really good. Nice. Yeah. I'm gonna make a note of this. I'm also like, I'm a, I'm a total whore for films from the forties and fifties. Mm. So, uh, uh, so you said it was emperor of the North. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Hell yeah, I'll check that shit out. Yeah, that's cool. There's something like there's something to be said for like classic Hollywood or classic <laughs> films before like long before there were any form of technological intervention and like everything had to be done by hand <laughs> like yeah stunt people like even going all the way back to like buster keaton films where he's doing all these wildly dangerous stunts just to get a laugh and and you see it and you're like that that shit's real <laughs> like yeah it's visually arguably less impressive than whatever the fuck michael bay is going to put in his movies but like looking at it and knowing that they actually had to do that shit um there's also, I don't know, like, I actually do think, I mean, and maybe this is just because, like, I am uh, way out of touch with the rest of my culture, and I haven't seen an, you know, it's like, I've seen, like, one of the Avengers movies, and uh, almost none of the Marvel films, but, like, I actually find the old school Hollywood stuff um, extending probably up even maybe into, like, into, like, the 90s and the 2000s, um, way more compelling than um, even the like deepest of the visual spectacles that we get these days. I, I think it's like the script, it's like both like the script writing, the primacy of, cause like the, the story has to happen with the actual human interaction of the people on the screen and with, with um, the on-screen action and the dynamic of it, instead of just all of the visual methods of storytelling that we fall back on now that we have this incredible plethora of digital tools and like, after effect kind of things um and i'm also yeah. just i don't know i'm just a dialogue person <laughs> which is good because i'm on a podcast at the moment <laughs> <laughs> um it's like di dialogue driven storytelling i think is um is 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 what connects film to our oldest art forms right because mm -hmm. it's like there, there is this sense in which well, it's, it's, it's not a sense. It's true that film is like one of the babiest of the baby art forms. Uh, video games probably being even more so the case. It's like, what even is it? It's only been around for 130 years. Um, and yet we recognize it as being a real legitimate art form as if it's always existed. And I feel like those things that film, that, that can play out through film, that connect it to our most timeless art forms, are the things that make it the most compelling. Um, and maybe the same with games too. Why this game that has, why, you know, Stanley has almost no gameplay in it, and yet it feels like a really compelling game. Because it's, it's like, it, it ties in with just, yeah, it ties in with choose your own adventure, with storytelling, with bizarre visual representation, um, psychological disintegration. Um, <clears throat> uh, well, it's yeah. also... It's also interesting because it. Oh, sorry, Rev. You go ahead. Yeah, you're good. 
Oh, okay. Um, it's also, it's gotten to an area where the thing that it like, and I was talking to a friend who was actually, who's actually spent time as like a game designer. And um, there's this, there's this thing here in New York city called sleep no more, which mm. is, it's a theater experience, but it's also the closest to actually being in a first person video game. And that it's this okay. entire, it's like, it's this four story building that you're let out in. Everyone wears a masks and there's, there's actors performing a sequence that loops every couple, every couple hours or at every okay. hour or so, but you're just free to roam around and just wow. like explore the space. However you want, you can follow the actors, you can ignore them. You can rummage through the drawers of stuff that's in the room. And that's we were sweet. talking about, yeah, we were talking about this and, and we were like, okay, so video games keep trying to reference film, but this is actually closer to what they are. It's actually closer to like a theater experience than it is yeah. a film experience. It's, it's, it's because it's, there's this, the immersive quality of it puts it in a different right. spot. It's basically what Matt Cosper yeah. and his wife are doing all the time. Yeah, and exactly. Katie are yeah, doing. Like, nice. it's, yeah. That's so like, and to me, that's what allows it to be more compelling as a potential ritual space as well. I, I think that games have, for the most part, gaming has missed out on this. I think that it's radically open as, as a as a ritual vessel in a way that we have not really recognized yet. Um, you know, in the same way that yeah, like immersive interactive theater has, um, it's maybe an inversely oriented ritual in that whatever spirit contact. What am I trying to say here? Um, the trappings of the ritual end up orienting towards contacting and affecting the human who's passing through it versus maybe setting the primary objective as the human attracting the attention of something else. Um, the attention of other things are certainly going to be attracted through that. But like, you know, um, I think like, so Stanley's a great example. Uh, another good example of that like transformative power in like the game as a ritual space. Did, did y'all ever play um, Spec Ops The Line? It was like the second Spec Ops game. Mm -mm. Okay, so uh, this was like when I was first getting into games um, as, a, as like an art form or whatever, instead of just like as a mode of entertainment. And um, so Spec Ops The Line is a, like a first person shooter. It's like, it's like Call of Duty, right? It's like a, like a modern warfare Call of Duty thing. Um, but throughout the game, it keeps doing this thing where it makes you, it force, it, it forces you to make a decision that you think is a normal first person shooter type decision. And then you discover right afterwards that you've committed a war crime without, <laughs> without knowing it. <laughs> so mm. like the, the best example of the game is that you're like, you, um, are trying to get, you, they're like, all right. Yeah. You know, the, it's like the game and your partners tell you. Uh, Intel says the next whatever, the next zone you have to pass through is completely infested. Look at how many enemies are in this zone. Um, and then you discover that you have like Wooly Pete. So you can shell them with Wooly Pete, which is like one of the most atrocious um, pieces of ordinance that the U.S. Army uses. It's like, it's horrifying shit. It like drowns you in your body fluids. Um, mm. And so you're like, cool, yeah, I'll just use this Wooly Pete. Instead of having to go and shoot all those people, I'll just shell them from here. Is that sarin gas? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's somewhat comparable to sarin gas. I think it, it might be more of a, uh, I think it might be a little bit more of a 
Because um, I was thinking Saren was maybe more of a nerve gas type uh. thing, and I think Wooly Pete might act in a slightly more of a... Um, I don't actually know. I don't or know. Just like, like Why filling, it, uh, filling up your lungs. Why yeah, does it have exactly. what? What does it have the name of like a children's puppet yeah. <laughs> character? Right, Wooly yeah. Pete. Wooly Pete. It does sound like a fun, <laughs> like a like a caterpillar or something. Yeah. <laughs> but so like you you shell the camp and then you walk down into it after you like wait for the for the for the um, ordinance to burn out and then you walk down into it and you discovered it was actually a refugee camp. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like, you go, you pass through it out of the zone where you killed everyone, and then you confront the second half of the refugee camp that survived, and you're, like, mobbed by people who know what you've done. And uh, then the game doesn't tell you what to do. You're still, like, holding your gun or whatever. You're like, uh... And then the refugees will kill you. So, like, you have uh, to, like, decide what to do. Um, uh, super fucked up. And then, like, at the end of the game, you're, the game also has multiple endings, and it gives you a bunch of options once you realize what a shit person you've been through the course of the game and you genuinely don't know what to do like you you finish the game and you're like you can either let them take you into custody you can start fighting your own people um and it will just let you try to kill as many other soldiers as you possibly can you can uh kill yourself um yeah Hmm. it's just like multiple endings all of them fucked up and like I finished the game. I, I only played a couple of the endings because, like, the thing I had to, the thing I was struggling to like recognize was that like playing the game had an actual real effect on me. Like, I felt like I had, I felt dirty after playing the game, and not in a like I shouldn't have played this kind of way. It was like I felt like I had had the experience of being dirty because of shit that I did in a war zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like trying to figure out how to make peace with that, you know? And um, yeah, and, and all of that given in the vessel and in a game that you think is just like a fun Call of Duty thing where you kill a bunch of people and don't have to think mm-hmm. about it. Um, yeah. You know, it made me reevaluate first person shooters actually <laughs> mm-hmm. um, after having that experience. And, yeah, that's intense. Know. Yeah. It's talking about Stanley ended up being much more fun. I'm glad I didn't recommend we play. (laughs) (laughs) But like, yeah, that is something that games are capable of doing. And it's something that I think we've largely left out. Like, I mean, indie gaming is telling stories, is telling better stories increasingly. And that's awesome. Like, I think that's great. Um, You know, I'll take that over. I'll take that over like the multiplayer fad or whatever. Um, yeah. Which is like, you know, whatever. I mean, if that's your thing, then that's cool. But like, I still think that for the most part, we've missed out on this tr- r- transformative ritual element that games can be, um, you know, in much the same way, like, yeah, immersive theater is you, you, you le- like, man, I, I had this dream a couple, like a couple weeks ago that this film crew I work with sometimes put on a piece where it was a room from the twenties and you would just walk into the room and all of the actors were playing actual people who had lived in Knoxville in the twenties. Mm. And, but they all have like, they all will like tell you their deepest, darkest secrets instead of it just being like a museum piece. So it's like <laughs> emotionally charged. Um, and that's it. You just like hang out in the room and like play some music and like maybe dance or something. Mm. Um, and, uh, 
Yeah, I feel like that's what games want to be. I feel like that's what they can give to us. Um, and God knows if it would really happen or not. I don't, I don't know that we're in a trend of having more of that, but it does seem like, in theory, it seems like that trend is able to suddenly be juiced up at like any moment because we have these examples like Stanley that have, you know, brought us into that, brought us into that dialogue. Well, I think, I think the indie game world is really uh, making leaps and bounds towards that kind of storytelling, like more, way more so than the mainstream stuff. I mean, you get it in some of the mainstream stuff, but, but damn, I've like, there's just some kind of, because there's love poured into it. Like it's like a handful of people maybe using their own money and their own spare time. Right. That's how the best shit is made. You know, I, I think that it's like one, the passion and the commitment and the desire to see something be exactly what it's supposed to be. And um, I'm also a firm advocate of the tyrannically empowered lead artist or whatever, <laughs> like someone who's like going to take control, going to like torture their soul to make this thing happen and like exercise. And like, yeah, it, it is a little bit, it is a little bit tyrannical to be in like, like an auteur director, right. Is calling all the shots on everything. Um, but also, I mean, like, I think that's the way the best music, the best arrangements are made, the best mixes. Um, and For like, sure. there are, you know, there are counter examples, um, like Stax records. And I think the, I think the muscle souls, uh, the muscle shoals sound was more yeah. of a team effort, but for the most part, I think it's like, you know, have a team, like have a team that can help have folks who believe in it and who can, who can bring their own value to the project, but then put somebody, give, give somebody the mic and let them, you know, let, let them be the center, be the, the crest of that wave. Um, and I, I think that's, I think that's how we end up with the best, the most compelling results. Yeah. Yeah, I was getting real, uh, like, uh, White Stripes, Little Room vibes mm. from, like, especially thinking back to our, our conversation about the, the lo-fi setups in, in your bedroom that look crazy. Yeah. Like, right. there's that whole, like, determination and a small team and love in your little room. But then, like, yeah. like if it's going really good, then you need a bigger room and you want to do bigger things and then... <laughs> And then you get all the right stuff, and then it's like something isn't the same then because you're not in the same universe that you were in before. Yeah, dude, as as someone who's currently working to create, (laughs) to build a company for for creating large-scale remote orchestral tracks, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I find that to be a relatable dilemma to try to engage with. You know, <laughs> and like, I mean, the, the idea of a DIY orchestral track is to a lot of people is a complete oxymoron. I just knew that it was what I wanted to do. Cause that's, I mean, fuck, that's, that's what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, the orchestra is su- such a fascinating example because it's, you know, 40 to 70 people are required to do live orchestral music, right? And every single one of those pers- of those people is a universe unto themselves. Mm-hmm. And they each bring, they bring a history with them. They bring an experience of music. They bring a sound that they desire, that they love. They bring baggage of having tried to make it in a 
in a, in a vicious musical world. And yet, when they join together, they become this single entity. And the music created by that single entity is being led by a conductor who's one person. And it was usually written by a composer who was one person. And so it's like this entire thing, all of these people coming together and then yet the, the crest of it, the manifestation of it, somehow ends up being the manifestation of one, of one person or one thing, even though it's, even though it's maybe a hundred people pouring themselves into it. Well, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting because like all of that also requires interpretation, right? Like that's right. part of the conductor's job as he's interpreting right. the music that was written. So yeah, whatever, whoever composed yeah. it might imagine it one way, but then the conductor with the orchestra is going to create its own. Yeah. And it it's doesn't, also, it doesn't belong to it. It doesn't belong to the creator, right? Like yeah. we create it and then we have to let go. Um, hmm. It's also, it's also amazing that, that like that was, that was about the only way to get, music for a long time was like you yeah had to, you had to gather like a million people well that and then like whatever right. whatever troubadours or whatever were happening yeah but, right hanging out in the salon or in, in your grandma's living room yeah, yeah. there's always some, songs together it's always some asshole with a loot in a tavern but <laughs> yeah that that would have been me I, I like to think though i because what my what, one of my favorite periods in musical history is the Renaissance. I mean, like I don't know. I'm a I'm a classical nerd, so I, I like pretty much all of it. Um, and I mean, my my sweet spot for classical is probably the 1890s. But I also fucking love the Renaissance because like you have characters like John Dowland or Thomas Tallis who were ba I mean, like less so Thomas Tallis. Certainly John Dowland was like a songster, right? Like he was the equivalent of a songwriter, but he was also writing music that achieved a pretty high cultural station during its time. And he did get unlimited resources for a time in his career. And it's like being able to be both things, being able to be like, I'm writing a motet, I'm writing large scale choral music. And also I'm just fucking banging on my lute and singing about bitches. And like, <laughs> that's, <laughs> and, and that's a life. <laughs> Banging on my lute and singing about bitches is yeah. the best. Yeah, that's... Uh -huh. Somebody needs that tattoo. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I, might, I might jump on that. <laughs> Get it in one a nice best... cursive script. <laughs> one of my best friends has a banjo and a battle axe and says picking and grinning. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's sweet. Um, yeah, there was... Uh, something you were saying is, oh yeah, yeah, right. Um, so you were saying, Kurt, about like both the thing that like the only way to enjoy music, the, the only way to have music before the age of recording being what it was, but also the like the fact that the that the like interpretation being a necessary part of it, the composer has to let go. There's also like I love to think about the audience, right? Because that's the ultimate example of having to let go, because like. Um, and again, like that for ages and ages, the only way for an audience to hear, to, the only way for a listener to enjoy large scale music was to go to a concert um, or to have enough money that you could throw private concerts and be the only one in attendance, which is definitely things crazy composers have done through time. But uh, like I like to um, 
I don't know, this is like a thought experiment, or I guess it's almost a parable. But um, so this composer, he's at the height of his powers, uh, height of his career. He spends a year writing a piece of music. He wants it to be the most beautiful piece of orchestral music, the most irresistible piece of orchestral music, the most overwhelmingly emotionally evocative piece of music that anyone who hears it will break down and blubber and feel so incredibly moved that they will know immediately this is the height of orchestral music. No one will ever be able to do this again. And so he slaves away. He spends an entire year, pours himself into it. The piece is incredible. It's immaculate. It's perfect. He's succeeded, right? And so immediately it gets picked up by a conductor who's like, this is the best piece of music I've ever fucking heard. And they schedule this uh, they build a new concert hall. It's going to be the first piece of music in this brand new concert hall because uh, it's so good that it needs to be done in a new hall. And they like rehearse it down to perfection. They hype the fuck out of it. They um, sell out the hall. And so it's opening night and the composer is sitting off to the side in his little folding chair that they've done for him. And he's sitting there with his friend um, and then one of their other buddies is, is, is sitting in the house chairs, right? And the piece plays and the composer is overwhelmed and like his heart is pounding and his friend is like weeping and the piece finishes and they look out into the audience and nobody claps, no one even does anything. And there's like, it's like crickets, no one even fucking responds. And so after the show, like the composer's crushed and he asks his friend who is sitting in the audience, he's like, dude, what happened? That was the best piece of music ever written. And the guy's like, dude, they have to do something about those chairs. They're so fucking uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's, that's horrible. Yeah. The whole time everyone's like, God, I, like my butt hurts. <laughs> yeah. You know, like if no one shows up, like if it doesn't even matter if other forces could intervene and prevent the audience from receiving it. And so like, no matter what, it, the, the most important piece is the audience, right? Is the audience being able to receive it? Um, and you can kind of do with that what you will. I, I still haven't really figured out what it means. <laughs> it, seem, it, it seems to be true, but. Or, or, or disregard the audience uh, to a degree and make it more of like a, yeah, there's, an, there's other, other approaches, but but yeah. it's like it's harder to be successful in any kind of conventional way with those approaches um, yeah maybe you just need to learn to let go because the audience is going to be what it is um you know find ways to extend an invitation uh make sure the seats are comfortable <laughs> if you can help it but then after that it's it's out of your hands like it doesn't it doesn't matter how much you put into it in the end it's out of your hands and and yeah maybe like you said rev the the key is just to let go of the let go of the end result and just commit to the process. But also, yeah, I, sorry, go ahead. go ahead. Oh, I, I just, I, it almost like on second thought, I'm almost like backpedaling now. I'm like, actually, no, that's just someone having like such an intense vision that they don't, they don't have the capacity for that part. And it's almost like, hmm. like you don't want to be your fucking agent and your publicist and the guy that writes and records like, yeah. You need delegated tasks. Like if this guy's going to make the perfect piece of art, he needs people backing him that have this kind of, because not right. everyone, no one can do everything themselves and make it perfect on their own. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's great. We need we need help. We need a we need accountants. Yeah. <laughs> Find those uh, blind spots. Yeah. Well, to another, well, I, I, there was a, years ago, I did these, uh, these like comics for, uh, this website tour.com and they had, you know, there, there was comment sections below them and it was always fascinating. Like what fucking people were reading to stuff that was like, mm. like, where did this even come from? Like, <laughs> how are you Yeah, I, like, I didn't put that in there. Like what, but like, mm. Oh, this person's in cahoots with this other person that comes late. I'm like, what is, what is in the text that is giving you that? But, right. And I, and there's like, what, what I realize is like, well, you just have, you can't, you can't control it. There's just right. no, and it's just like what you're saying. The, the seats suck. Like sometimes yeah. it's like, are there, are there wonderful? But then there's one person in there that's like, the stoic hard ass it's like i hate soft things yeah <laughs> right exactly <laughs> look i just want to stop right now to make yeah. sure that everyone listening to this podcast episode has a full belly and they're not low blood sugar or cranky um is your seat comfortable I just... <laughs> <laughs> good looking and, out yeah. and then i just i just also want to reach out and say go fuck yourselves <laughs> Well, that I'm is better than you. No, that is, no, that's that's the that's the official policy. I was just going off record for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, so there was this there was this trend in, um, uh, you know, like I guess classical music in the 20th century. No one knows what the fuck to call it after. Like once it, we enter the 20th century, what does it even mean to say that it's classical? Like it's you know but like whatever some people called it art music like steely dan music yeah exactly classical <laughs> music like steely dan or britney yeah. spears you right, know right right yeah uh, <laughs> um so like no one really came up with a term that doesn't sound assholeish and pretentious so like we just kept calling it classical um but composers working in uh like after the 30s basically well really after the 40s um there was this brief stint um, before postmodern art music became sweet with like minimalism, you know, Steve Reich and Philip Glass and stuff. Um, there was this weird like fascist trend where it was like, you know, like stridently dissonant. It's all impossible to play. You have to do higher mathematics to even understand what the fuck is on the page. Mm. Um, and I think it was Milton Babbitt. Um, I don't know, whatever. If any, if any of my, composer friends are still listening they're going to be very offended that i forgot who this was but i believe it was milton babbitt had this really famous quote where someone was like why are you writing this abrasive music that nobody wants to listen to and he was like nobody cares if you listen <laughs> we're just going to do this either way and uh which on the one hand I think that I almost thought that was inspiring when I was a composite, when I was in music school. But the problem is it's complete bullshit uh, because they do care if you listen. And like every, everyone cares if you listen. All of us musicians, like, I think the only one, the only example I can think of who probably genuinely did not care would have been um, fucking um, Jeswaldo, Carlo Jeswaldo, who like, he was like a weird experimental composer from the late uh, renaissance who killed his wife um he uh killed his wife and her lover and then 
10 years later wrote some really good choral pieces. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> he was just like living his own life and he would like bring in singers and then they would just sit and sing for him. And so maybe he didn't care. But also even then, a lot of us have heard his music and it got published. So, you know, like we want an audience, we crave an audience. At the, for the, if for no other reason, then um, we feel what our music does to us and we want to share it. We want someone to be able to receive it, uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it is It is sort of a weird inversion. It's like it's like the joke I just did where it's like, go fuck yourselves as the audience. Yeah. It's like there, there are <laughs> right. these people that are like, I need you to show up so I can hate you. Yeah. Like there's almost like, it's <laughs> almost a similar thing. It's like, right. I need yeah. you to be around so I can tell you that I'm better than you. It's, it's almost <laughs> what it feels like. Yeah. Like some of my favorite music, like some of my favorite music uh, starts off feeling unlistenable at first. And right. that's, there's like, but, but it's just a matter of kind of growing accustomed to the, just the general mood of what's going on and like, getting into that language specific language and then from yeah. there you notice that like they really did care that it was listenable i'm thinking like like you go beef beef harders or um zappa like yeah. like it's it's not unlistenable and if it was it was like right for for a purpose and yeah or like um yeah i don't know like uh like someone that i fucking adore that a lot of people can't stand is tobacco um okay he's a dj from he's in he's kind of like the in my opinion the backbone of uh black moth super rainbow so it's oh, okay. a lot of these like really gritty dissonant um analog synth stuff uh that okay it's highly psychedelic and really dirty okay. um, yeah and like a lot of people just like can have a panic attack from hearing one of tobacco's songs <laughs> But like, it's some of my favorite shit, you know? But it, mm. that's not someone disregarding, that's someone challenging or stepping into like a new modality. And yeah. it's important to, to give things a real chance, even if they strike us, you know, as, as if it's like totally disregarding at first. Um, yeah. Cause sometimes those things are, are the true genius, but. Yeah. Sometimes that's the engine of transformation, either, mm. either like of the music itself or of the listener or like, and I mean, you know, my, um, the most, um, this is actually almost a conservative opinion, right? That, well, it is a conservative opinion. Music, as we think of it, like, like music that engages with the Western tradition is arguably nothing more than the alternation of dissonance and consonance. And presumably it's consonants first, then dissonance, and then consonants again. Um, that the, but in any case, the existence of consonants and dissonance maybe form a dialectic that and they each qualify each other by existing. Mm -hmm. And that if you want to have consonants, consonants exists only in the context of dissonance, and dissonance exists only in the context of consonants. And that like, the most compelling pieces, um, you know, like for, for me, I love a piece that stretches out the dissonance um, and then delivers on the consonants in a really like spectacular way at the very yeah. end. Um, there's a, yeah, there's definitely like a, <laughs> there's an orgasmic analogy there that I probably don't have to explicitly draw out. It kind of tells <laughs> itself. Um, 
you know, but then also like if you if you take a piece that is across a large enough scale, like for instance, um, um, well, of course, I mean, the ultimate example is that piece y'all probably heard of by John Cage. That's they started it in the 50s and it's going to be playing for the next 500 years. Um, <laughs> it's like it's an incredibly, incredibly slow or um, organ piece. Uh, in fact, I think it's being played in a church somewhat relatively close to you, Rev. Um, huh. I forget where exactly. I don't think it is in. Um, maybe it's in the Netherlands. I'm not sure. It could it could be in Germany, but I think it might actually be in, in the Netherlands. It um, sounds a little too but, wacky to be Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> well, so like these chords last for years at a time, right? Uh, and so like you, so for some, yeah, like you'll, I mean, of course it's John Cage, so he wasn't exactly going to write like a, you know, C major, like a pretty sounding chord or something. Um, I, I can't see my piano, so I did not play a C major chord just for the record, <laughs> whatever the hell that was. Um, but yeah, you're not gonna get something nice and pretty, but you will likely be getting an alternation, right? And so some of these dissonances will last literally for 10 years or longer. Um, mm. <laughs> and yet throughout the whole scope of the piece, that dissonance is is part of it. Um, now, like John Cage would not recognize the term dissonance and he would probably, yeah. <laughs> so this would not stand up musicologically, but as the metaphor, I think it still holds. And like, you know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes we have to hear something that's jarring and confrontational and gnarly. And, uh, you know, like, sometimes you do a deep dive on some like harsh noise or like electronic noise stuff and you sp you listen to it for a couple of hours and then you uh go outside and you're walking past a cafe and you hear fucking maroon five and you're like what is that oh my god <laughs> what is that sound that, that's hilarious yeah, that's that's something I was thinking about earlier. Was uh, there's so much to be said, and I don't hear many people talk about like uh, probably because they don't have any contrast. Like they're people are so plugged in all the time. But like you hike trails, so you you know what it's like to to unplug for a while and like come back and hear hear a song for the first time in a week, and it's like yeah. oh my god, the way that fucking music sounds when you haven't heard anything but just you know you hear birds and that's music, but it's like yeah. Yeah. It's different to come back and hear some shit that's like arranged and all harmonizing together. Yeah. Um, and I think the same thing with with certain, you know, things that we watch. Like it's it's like if you like yeah. you were talking about how much more engaging uh, dialogue driven like 90s and prior and even mid 2000s yeah. stuff is uh, yeah. less visual device crutches. And right. and that's that's the same thing. It's like. If you go a week without watching a movie and you go watch something from the 20s, it's yeah. like it's fucking enthralling. But if you totally just got finished watching like three seasons of Adventure Time, which <laughs> I have been known to do, like, yeah. <laughs> but like still, then you go and watch something that's a slower pace and and a little bit more nuance and more about just these are two humans interacting like humans do. Mm. Um, it's it takes some time to readjust and re-engage with that. And like, yeah. I just think that that's not, that's not even on most people's fucking radar because there is no yeah. time when they're not, when they're going longer than 30 minutes without a screen. Totally, yeah. 
And dude, man, an um, interesting practical example of that, when I got back from the PCT, the first movie I saw was um, Blade Runner 20, whatever, the like- 2049. Like, yeah, yeah, thanks. Blade Runner um, 2049, and I got back to the car and I cried, <laughs> like, uh. and not not like in a nice way. Like I was just like wildly fucking overstimulated. I, I don't even know if I liked the movie or not. At the time, I thought that I didn't like it because it was just like way too much for someone who'd been, you know, like, yeah, watching the trees for the last six months. <laughs> it's it's funny because my theater experience with that movie was very similar. Because my my mm. friend, we decided to go see it, and he. He got tickets to this like crazy IMAX, okay, like super sound thing, and that okay. movie is loud as fuck. It's super and it's fucking th- loud, and yeah. it's just it's just like, yeah. and it just keeps just, going. It. And yeah. I, I was clinging to the chair like yeah. this is going to eject my soul from my body. I can feel it right now. Like, this is not. Yeah. I don't like this at all. Is this yeah. an MK project? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite of, of of sound healing or a sound bath. You know, it's 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 funny you're bringing up all this like the ideas of dissonance because that's that's that through the 20th century that was such a big part of art. Like one of my right. one of my favorite uh so there's this whole there's this whole type of architecture called brutalism. Yeah, oh, yeah. Which is just this, it's really like, it, it almost looks like de-rezzed buildings. Like it's all concrete right. <laughs> and gray and like really blocks. And one of my yeah. favorite buildings here in New York City is this thing. I think it's called the, uh, what, I forget the actual name of it, but it was, it was designed for Bell Telephone. And it was like, it's, it's the uh, exchange building. So okay. it has no windows. Oh wow! And it's this—it's this giant like concrete monolith. It looks like a alien exhaust mm. port for a spaceship. <laughs> it's just so fucking, and I yeah. love it because I'm like, this does not belong yeah. in any human reality. <laughs> like right. the f- and there was obvious, and it's so big, and it's like someone spent a shit ton of money to make this thing, yeah. and it's so strange. And I think there's like something out of like Pilot Wing sixty four. <laughs> or, yeah, or like, or, like just something, yeah. some kind of Nintendo sixty four, like, like, right. yeah, smooth graphics, like no texture, just... sure, sure. And, or, or like yeah. something that the uh, the combine from from Half Life would have made. It, yeah, it feels right. like like this yeah. is not for people at all, but it's just <laughs> in the middle of the most people centric hive ever. Yeah, and there's uh, yeah. Go ahead. Well, it, the, um, there was that um, BBC documentary on on brutalism. I, I think it was uh, it came up in Gordon's custodianship course, and um, yeah, it was sweet. It was just a bit a big time engagement with brutalism as the last architecture with teeth, like the last like assertive form of architecture, and like um, that. There's a way to relate to architecture in which it's a mode of leaving art of leaving artifacts of leaving mega artifacts for future generations and whatever the original context because like he also engaged with like fascist brutalist architecture and the like neo castle building and stuff and that a lot of those buildings were censored as being anti-human or fascist or whatever and yet 70 years on people are like i'm so stoked we have this weird fucking brown castle (laughs) in the middle of my village (laughs) 
Hmm. Yeah, I, and it, I think it. I think there's a quality of it acting as, um, and not everyone would see it this way, as its contrast highlighting its opposite, right? Hmm. Like humans in it seem more human because it is in contrast to this very alien structure that's yeah. barely designed oh. to be made for a human. Right. It's really interesting. Yeah, um, that's cool. And I, you know, and it's, it's why sometimes like there's two forms of architecture. Like when you build, you build into the landscape and then you build in contrast to the landscape. And so mm. there's a way that, that like it as this, you know, these big concrete, a concrete bunker, like it, it's artifice, like makes the nature around it, like more, more vivid and beautiful. Yeah. Um, the, that's, it's like the, um, I think it's part of the David Lynch aesthetic too, right? Like there's a talk he gave uh, in um, Los Angeles. I think it's an extra on like an eraser head disc or something. God knows. I think I watched it a long, long time ago, um, like in high school or something. And he was um, just discussing his aesthetics. And, um, you know, yeah, he said, he said um, most people would be satisfied with footage of a beautiful meadow. I like a disgusting factory in the middle of a beautiful meadow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like there's, there's something to that. It's, it's also, I think it's interesting about like the brutalist example. Cause it, it brings back that thing I was saying about giving, creating a huge, um, a huge organization to make the work, but then giving the reins over to one crazy motherfucker who's going to follow the idea relentlessly. And mm -hmm. I believe most of the brutalist architecture was done that way. It was given to like one architecture in like his thirties who uh, <laughs> was like, you know, I, I'm going to give all these spineless motherfuckers. I went to school with something to chew on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it is funny to think of it as, as architecture, as violence. Because yeah. it's almost what it is, right? Yeah, man. The sound of it is certainly violent when the building's going up. Um, yeah. There's also, I mean, like, cause I, th I think the example of building with the land is a really interesting too. Like, I mean, I find, yeah, you know, consonants and dissonance both are valid. I think that they they need each other. Um, but then also these weird, like, in between examples. Um, like, I was when I was. Uh, studying abroad and in, in college i um spent about a week in barcelona and um all the stuff by um by gaudi especially yeah. um the um sagrada uh la sagrada familia um which is like still under construction i don't i don't even know when they're gonna finish it but like you can't really tell in fact the fact that it is so bioformative makes it stand out as a huge disruption to the rest of barcelona yeah <laughs> so it's like un unclear even though everything looks like crustacean and like like rounded um yeah i guess maybe there's something about like assertive architecture whether you're asserting something like bioformative or like following the landscape or asserting it through the disruption, the like stark brutalist disruption of the landscape. There's, um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's like, there's some, I guess that there is a mindset that would say that that sort of assertion is wrong, that humans are like, should not be asserting or like Im imposing ourselves into the place. But like, what the fuck else are we going to do? This is, 
<laughs> there's not really another option for us at this point. I mean, there were certainly um, the uh, historical record or lack of one indicates that there were hundreds of thousands of years in which we were not imposing ourselves other than a couple of key locations. Um, but you know, this all reminds me. Of, there's that there's that George Carlin bit where he's like he's like complaining like he's talking about environmentalists and they're like we gotta get rid of the styrofoam and then he's like what if earth wants the fucking styrofoam what if the whole point is it made us to make styrofoam and now it has styrofoam and it's like thank god now you fuckers need to go yeah it's like yeah it's like i wanted a new island right here and i'm gonna make it out of styrofoam thanks guys bye get the fuck out yeah um well we're we're hitting up on like the three hour mark oh um, jesus tim, tim do you have any projects or anything you want to talk about or like point people uh, towards yeah let me see so um i will say these projects are forthcoming but the digital placeholders are not quite in place yet so uh um if if cool. you want to find me and keep tabs i've got things on um you know Babylon Incorporated, also known as the Facebook, at um, Timothy Neil Woody. Uh, let's see, I've got um, Timothy Neil Woody and uh, Timmy and the Draft Dodgers is like my band. That's where we're going to be launching some orchestral uh, music video projects, which will hopefully, uh, we'll get them out there sometime. Every single time I appear on like anything, I'm like, they're about to come out. And I've been saying that for like a year or more. So whatever, they'll come out when they come out. Uh, the first one though, the track is done. We're just going to do the, the music video. It's a, um, orchestral arrangement of George Gershwin's someone to watch over me. Um, mm. and we did that using a method that we're actually turning into a business called, um, harmonic HQ. Uh, that will, I think we're on LinkedIn at Knox harmonic. We haven't rebranded yet. Um, but, uh, Harmonic HQ is a network for orchestral musicians, for composers and arrangers, for producers, for filmmakers, um, filmmakers who need orchestral scores, I'll say, and then um, recording artists. Basically, if you want live orchestral music or you are an orchestral musician and you need a way to do that in a sustainable, anti-fragile, uh, well-paying way, this is a network that lets us do remote tracking at a high level to create incredibly unique orchestral tracks. Um, so that uh, we're going to be incorporating soon, uh, launching um, the marketing and uh, the website for that. Uh, that should come up through Timmy and the Draft Dodgers when we launch it. Um, other than that, uh, I'm um, working with a film crew called In Motion Studios, and uh, we've got a film called Wolf Mountain that will be coming out fairly soon. It's a it's a horror movie. Um, it's it's a short, and uh, I did the film score for it. I'm super excited about it, and uh, there is a. Um, I don't think this will spoil anything about the film. I'll just uh, I will say that my film score has a. Um, Ave Maria, Imperatrix, and Fernie, um, Holy Mary, Queen of Hell, uh, in it uh, <laughs> as a little bit of an Easter egg. So, oh God, uh, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So uh, oh. that should be out sometime soon. I was gonna try to finish it before. I I don't know if I mentioned this. I'm leaving for Vermont in uh fuck in a few days um, to go hike the Long Trail, uh, oh, which shit. is yeah that hikes covers the entire length of uh, Vermont. So I'll be out there for a few weeks. Um, I'm probably not going to finish up my part on the film score by then. It just is almost done, but not quite. 
Um, so that should be done eventually. And then I think that <laughs> film's going to come out maybe in October, November. Very cool. Very cool. I'm glad, I'm glad we caught you before you went to, um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, just in yeah, time. This was great. It was good to catch up. And, um, yeah. uh, what else did I want to say? There was something else. Kurt Stahl. <laughs> I, I, part of me thinks that you should, you should take this podcast and like cut it in half and pick it, put the last half in the first half and then like so it just loops back in on itself there's a part of me that really <laughs> nice yeah <laughs> i'll just like, i'll just make it like nine hours long and put three of them back to just back. keeps going back yeah. over to yeah. make slight tweaks yeah like audio uh, tweaks to it oh we like those like nine hours of 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 gregorian chants but instead it's nine hours of the same conversation <laughs> Oh, and if oh, that's what I was gonna say, if if the music that you're hearing in this episode ends up not being uh, shit from the game, then it's Timmy's music because that means I convinced him to let me put some of it in the show. <laughs> and if nice. not, it's the yeah. fucking game. So, <laughs> thanks again, Tim. Yeah, absolutely. I'll... All right. This was loads of fun. Cool. See you next time. Peace. <laughs>